Okay, so we are talking about episode two, week seven, or season seven, rather. And the episode, of course, is entitled Stormborn. And I kind of thought maybe she would call it Blackwater Baywatch, or maybe that'll be the next episode, when <laughs> Theon is rescued by Gendry. Finally, he has something to do. Um, actually, of course, there was no Gendry. We were hoping for that. We predicted yeah. a possibility of that, because he himself is Stormborn, but alas, no Gendry. But, of course, the episode started with a storm. You know, it was, it was raining outside when the episode began. And, of course, Euron is, I am the storm, you know, and he certainly seemed to prove that. Uh, Daenerys herself is Stormborn, with the mention of, of the day she was born, even brought up by Varys. Um, one thing else we guessed was potentially there would be maybe some winter stuff, winter storm, maybe Night King stuff. But didn't see a storm in the north. None of that, none of that. We also had one Nymeria returning, just as another Nymeria is killed. Mm, can't have two Nymerias at the same time. We should have maybe seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> we also got a, a strong Arya Danny parallel with the f- concept of family and identifying with their uh, dragon, you know, Olena telling her to be a dragon and Arya reconnecting with Nymeria, you know, kind of rem- just as she's learning about her family. A lot of cool stuff there. Nymeria was not a lone wolf. Nymeria was not a lone wolf. <laughs> right. Very much not so. I think maybe Arya took note of that. A <laughs> couple of announcements before we get started. We have been getting a huge amount of questions from y'all, from patrons, from Twitter, from email, and from a lot of, and from Facebook as well. And so I highly recommend that if you don't send your questions in advance, Use the Super Chat feature because we just cannot keep up with all the questions. The Super Chat allows your comment to stay visible on the chat window here in the live stream so that we have time to answer it and we don't miss it because we're getting so many comments, it's just hard to keep up with. That ensures your question gets answered. Uh, if you're a patron, you can send us questions in advance. I'm usually going to make an episode post on Patreon uh, with the opportunity for you all to post the questions in that group. And we got a lot more of those today. We got some especially from... Some of our regulars, uh, Lord Mark of House Joseph, shout out to you and your family there. This year, the snow in Winterfell, and writer of Mazalakartho, the green dragon with white scales, horns, wings, and talons. And, of course, we have a new dragon rider whose name is still in the works, but the dragon has been named, and that's Talarius, red dragon with horn scales and wings of midnight black, fearsome. And, of course, thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, history of Westeros' first sword. We also have some new Patreon levels, and we've talked about for a while, is adding the Beard Guard, the Beard Council, and the Hand of the Beard, the hand that holds the comb. And that is there. <laughs> we now have that in place. So if you go to check out patreon.com, you can enter the amount you wish to support per month, History of Westeros. And if you pick levels that have beard in them, Sean will read your shout-outs. So that's pretty cool. Let us start with the opening crawl. I think that is something that deserves discussion because there's, as much as we pour over things for details, the opening crawl has details, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. The uh, east of the wall, the sea east of the wall in the north is frozen over. If you were to compare it to a, an, an earlier season, the opening sequence when it shows the north there, compared to the current season, it's just iced over. And especially in the context of Sandor's vision, seems like they might just be able to bypass the wall. Absolutely. And we have some more to say about that, but we're not going to talk about it now. What we used to do 
a lot of you are familiar with is we would do our Patreon credits at the end of the episode, and then after that, we're gonna, we we would talk about what's coming next, as in trailers for the follow for the upcoming episode or anything we've learned that's a little spoilery from, say, the inside the episode or things like that. We're not going to cover those after the patron credits anymore. We're going to do those on Saturday from now on. For the rest of the season, we're going to do another live stream Q&A on Saturday. And anything to do with the upcoming episode, anything to do with predictions for the coming episode, anything to do with the trailers for the coming episode, anything to do with stuff we learned that's outside of the general sphere of watching the episode... For example, we have some detail on this frozen sea thing. There's some some hints from behind the scenes that some people might not want to be spoiled on. So we're going to put all that into a special episode so that no spoilers get mixed in. If you want to talk about spoilers, that'll be your jam. Saturday, kind of early in the afternoon, look out for the live stream posting later in the week. It also gives us time to kind of collect some of our thoughts. It's been less than 24 hours since we've seen the episode and... Over time, we come up with new ideas, make new realizations, gain insights from other people that we talk to also. so Yeah, absolutely. This stuff isn't something we can judge. We, we've been grinding on this ever since last night. Stayed up late. All day today, I've been taking your questions and thinking about it and working on the notes. I didn't take a shower or anything. I hope <laughs> I look okay. <laughs> and Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so Sean's right. We it, It's so, so much going on. We have a lot to say, but by the end of the week, we have more to say. And we don't have an outlet for that because we do our episodes early in the week. So we're going to fix that problem Saturday afternoon. You can join us there. Also, give some of y'all who can't make these Monday live streams a better chance, especially y'all, have, those of you all who are overseas uh, as compared to uh, us here in the U.S., if you're in Europe or Australia or in Asia, you might this might give you a better chance to catch up with us because this is kind of late for a lot of y'all. I'm also going to plug myself here. I'm on Twitter now. That's <laughs> yes, been a new outlet for me. It's been really fun. Uh, a huge percentage of the people that I'm following and that are following me are connected to Game of Thrones, and so especially when the when the episode's airing, you know, live tweeting it, watching other people live tweeting it has been. A new fun experience for me, and it's a new way for me to like put out my thoughts and get the I don't know how to say this the perspective of the the fan world out there for Game of Thrones. It's it's neat for me to see how much commotion and opinion and everything kind of develops, how quickly everyone cares about what's going on. It's really neat to see. And another Sean related piece of trivia will come halfway through this episode. I'm going to explain. He's going to help me explain this shirt that says "Lick Me Sideways." There's an explanation behind this shirt. And I'm going to give it to you, but not yet. We'll talk about that halfway through the episode at the midpoint. In the meantime, let's continue talking about the crawl. A question that's come up repeatedly is why is the Baratheon sigil still hanging over King's Landing in the opening crawl? Well, I actually have an explanation for this. Two explanations. One, our good friend Joanna Robinson from Storm of Spoilers and A Cast of Kings and and Vanity Fair and too many other things to list (laughs) pointed out that it's a mistake. They believe it's a mistake. She was told by one of the producers that it should be, say, Lannister. However, it's not a mistake. It is confusing. But going by succession law, it is not a mistake. There are no living Baratheons. And in that case, the seat passes, the title passes to the living mother in this case. She is what, it's It's a lot like, if anyone who's read the books, it's a lot like what happened with Lady Dustin of Barrington. Lady Dustin is a Riswell, but all the Dustins are dead, and she was married into the family, so she's the Lady of Barrington. It's the same logic that we use to tell you why Sansa is the Lady of the Dreadfort. So Cersei is 
queen, even, but she also seized power. So it, that, that's what makes it confusing because she kind of took the throne by force, but she has a claim, a regular claim anyway, as a Baratheon mother. Uh, even though we all know she mothered no Baratheon children, <laughs> and we got to remember what people actually think versus what you know we're told. But even if that was known, like specifically, never mind the, the details of how things have played out with the Lannisters, but she would still get be the the heir, if you will, right? Like even if well, she just had no ki- kids, she's still the the wife of the husband when right. there's no other heirs to it. She would still get it, right? So she would, yeah, and it creates a weird situation where you know she has no heirs. But that's funny. I think we maybe discussed this in a previous episode. Maybe it was on the book to show. I don't recall. But the the uh, the uh, funny situation we have here, where Cersei can't have kids, Daenerys maybe can't have kids based on the prophecy, and maybe John can't either because he's been resurrected and you know the blood flowing and everything. Maybe he doesn't work right, so that'd be kind of funny. Maybe if, he has uh, super kids. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just give birth to baby whites. Okay, so uh, Lord James Saunders of the Chicken Dance reminds us that we need to talk about our beverages. And uh, I am drinking a sparkling ice, which is a zero-calorie apple beverage. Well, this one's apple, and Sean is drinking. This is not as exotic, or maybe it is as unusual as what I often have, but this is Coke and root beer mixed together. I think no one would have guessed that, ah. but that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a super chat from Ty Ear Nancym. I do, Sorry about that. I do not know what your name is. We The question is, what did Arya mean saying it's not you to Nymeria? We have that in our show notes. We'll get to that shortly. Thanks for the question. Let's continue, though, real quick with the crawl. We have Pike has also been con- included, which is a little unusual because I, I wouldn't have guessed we'd see Pike this season. Of course, the Ironborn are a big part of the plot, so it might just be that. But the actual location of Pike, I'm a little skeptical that we'll see it this season, but who knows, right? I mean, there's there's maybe some things we hadn't considered. It seems like there's not enough time to have too much drama going on at Pike, but I can't imagine maybe you're on. Cersei probably doesn't really care about Yara. So maybe Euron takes Yara back to Pipe after dropping off Ilaria, whatever gift, to Cersei. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. So that's that covers the crawl. But the little quick things that weren't in this episode. There was no wall, no Bran yet. We'll, have, we'll be talking about Bran a little bit. Uh, no Hound or the Brotherhood. Of course, that's going to be delayed a little bit. We have we assume that the Wildlings are on their way to Eastwatch. That's what... That's what uh, John ordered them to do at the end of last episode. And then he goes in his scene, he says, none of you here have seen the army of the dead. Well, the wildlings have seen the Tormund yeah. has, so that implies they weren't there. They, they already have left, so that's cool. Hopefully they have a maester there, because <laughs> I don't think there's a maester at Castle Black. Hopefully there's one at Eastwatch, because the wildlings can't read. So yeah. <laughs> like, hey, we got to send John a message. Bad things are happening. Wait, no one here knows no how to, one read knows or how to send a message. Oh, no, what do we do? <laughs> um, from a film... From a filmmaking perspective, oh, we have another super chat. Let's see, we have a question from Zach Louie, and it says, Lick me sideways. <laughs> that is not a question. It's a demand. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, lick him sideways. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> um, what did you notice from this episode as far as filmmaking aspects? Uh, a couple things. This is maybe not... a. a- technical thing a lot of times when i'm looking at filmmaking it's things that people aren't actively looking at like editing and stuff like that that has a big impact whether you realize it or not but one that's a little more obvious that you know everyone is kind of looking for i don't mean to say it's negative that it's obvious is the performances the acting were really good not that they aren't normally but this episode and i think the last one too particularly had a lot of opportunities for facial acting a lot of moments when one person is giving a speech and you get to see the reactions of everyone around I think that Alfie Allen was amazing there as Theon. 
like, well, as Reek. He started uh, to become Reek uh, again. Like, I, I realized how much his facial expressions seem to shift to a different... It's making me recall back to how differently he was acting as Reek. You know, it, it was like a different character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, yeah. A lot of people have been saying for a while that they think Alfie Allen is the best actor in the crew. Crew? In the crew. <laughs> crew, like, you know... A in the crew. And I think that people who feel that way, um, maybe I'm not 100% with you, but... Man, did he put, you know, earn some points with yeah. this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of people continue for that. I think that, uh, that Lena Heedy, is that Lena, her yeah. name? Mm-hmm. I think she's who I would pick. But another thing I, I particularly appreciated was the uh, the segues, which... The cuts. Yeah. I like how they were cuts because so many of them were actually cuts. Yeah. <laughs> they were cuts that were cutting, right? We, uh... <laughs> I feel like uh, every now and then we get an episode from Game of Thrones where they do that, where there's interesting cuts the the sequencing of the different portions of the episode are pieced together very well and uh i don't necessarily think it's ever done poorly but i think this episode it was done particularly well they particularly did a good job of having the order of presentation from a set of characters like in the beginning they go from the different councils you know they go from john and the people under him talking to cersei and the people and her talking to danny and the people and her talking that kind of theme of uh, segments went together, obviously with the uh, Jorah to the Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was also John's Tom. reaction to Littlefinger. You know, his yeah. head was turned away, and he was kind of like tell he was really agitated. Yeah. Oh, that was another good facial expression. Yeah. yeah, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when he's facing the camera, and we see him respond to what we hear Littlefinger saying in the background. But I was talking about the cuts. Right. Right. Um, the uh, that was particularly. Oh, the Charlies. They the Charlies, followed yeah. from Sam to Sam's family. Yeah. Good job, yeah. But I think that both from a storytelling aspect and they even got some humor out of it. It was well-timed, visually well-presented. I I try to keep in mind how much of an amazing filmmaking feat is going on. This is like movie-level quality that we're watching with Game of Thrones. Yes. And most movies are, you know, an hour and a half, two, two and a half. These are like 10-hour movies that we're watching. It's a <laughs> space huge out, yeah. effort for the editors and the set designers and everyone to piece all this together. Yeah, I like that a lot. It was really fun. Let's go into Dragonstone. Danny makes a really interesting comment at the beginning there. It's storming, which is appropriate for the episode title, and she says that it doesn't feel like home to her. I thought that was really neat. They're telling, yeah, we won't be here long. And uh, events that play out seem to make that not true. It looks like she will be there a while because... She, most of her early moves are not going well. Uh, one in particular, <laughs> and that maybe statement, others. The statement's relative in the first place. Like we won't be here very, we won't be here very long. Could mean two weeks or two months. Yeah, and it being extended, maybe it's being extended from two weeks, two months, or from two months to two years. If we have to wait that long for the next season, she can wait that long to get off that island. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and we have. One of the first things that happens is we get this confrontation with Varys, which I thought was... I'm really glad they did this. This needed to happen. And it gave Conleth Hill a chance to do some 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 solid acting, have a lot of lines. He usually just gets a few in here and there. He's had less to do recently. So it really gave him a chance to show his stuff, and he kicked, he really did a great job. And But there's some things to unpack from, from what was said. The things he talks about with being for the people, and the, which is, you know, a lot of people find that to be on point, and you kind of wonder... If that's true, I think it probably is. And he says things like, incompetence should not be rewarded with blind loyalty. And he, right to Danny's face, he's like, yeah, Robert was a better king than your father. But he wasn't a good king. He didn't care about being king. And he just breaks it down really well and, and honestly. And But at the end, 
I tend to want to trust Varus and kind of be on his side, but it's worth noting that even if everything he said was true, and, and it was very logical, it was great arguments, it doesn't mean he can't also have an ulterior motive. Yes, So I agree. I agree that, and I think there were some undertones that he was, his insistence about being about being a loyal and for the people was so strong and Tyrion was backing him up and you wonder maybe if it went a little too far maybe they're just trying to set us up for something or if it really is that good I mean we all we have the foreshadowing um, we have Lord of the Chicken Dance pointing out that you know if you do betray me I'll burn you alive and maybe that's foreshadowing I, yeah. I don't know and I think it's interesting that some of the following scenes that make me wonder what Varus was all about before this. He doesn't bat an eye at Melisandre, whereas he hated those red priests overseas. So O'Shea's got a, an image for us here. I think this is a really beautiful shot. And Sean, you had a take here as well on the positioning here. Yeah, I thought this is a really neat shot, especially because I felt like they kind of made a point last episode as they entered the throne room, the more... I don't want to say experienced statesman, Varus Tyrion. As Danny walked in, they kind of stopped and held back. And Tyrion went a step farther, and Grey Worm had an instinct to move forward, but Sunday held him back. You know, there's a certain etiquette or protocol or whatever to their positioning as Danny's entered the throne room. And it was seemed to be kind of give her space. It's her throne. She she can go up there. But then we see Melisandre show up, who's in between Danny and the throne, <laughs> literally standing between her and the throne. And yeah. I feel like it was a subtle thing they chose to show us last time how Sunday held Grey Worm back. And this is a obviously they went out of the way for this shot. This is yeah. an above shot. They're mm-hmm. clearly this is how they're introducing Melisandre. I don't believe with all the effort and talent and symbolism going on in a show that this is random. Yeah. I believe they chose this shot and this positioning very carefully, and it has a meaning. It's a beautiful shot, even apart from any meaning, I'd have to say. For sure, yeah. <laughs> we have a question from Bernadette Lange. Why wasn't Mopatis, Illyrio Mopatis, brought up? Well, I think they kind of just shoved him off to the side. I think maybe they originally planned to use him a little more. But when once we had Tyrion at Illyrio's manse talking to Varys with no Illyrio... That made it pretty clear that Illyrio was just not in the story anymore. And I think it's just that simple. I think they just decided they didn't have time for him. They probably figured that people just kind of forgot who he was. And they're just like, eh, let's just use Varus for this. There's not enough for Varus to do anyway. Yeah. So I think they just wanted to give all that to Varus. And, you know, it's kind of awkward, but I kind of make it, from a production standpoint, it makes sense to me. So there's a lot of other things brought up here. Melisandre bringing up the thing about Jon Snow. And very interesting, Masande jumping in with the language lesson. That's got some implications, obviously. Some more, some of those implications will break down in the book to show episode with Radio Westeros, but there's plenty to say here as well. I thought of something else just now. I wonder if that's, if not foreshadowing a parallel. Think how here we have Danny threatening to burn Varus, and then here comes Melisandre, who is just supporting. Stannis, who burned Shireen, yep, you know, yep, I wonder yep. if it's, <laughs> she finds her way to the fire. <laughs> um, just a reminder, we have Shea running production for us as usual, and she is handling the chat. That's her typing all anything from Westeros history in the chat is coming from her, and she's loading up all our images and everything, so everybody give her a lot of thanks for her work. The decisions with regards to Jon Snow, it seems to the decision seems to have been made. You know, Tyrion backs Jon Snow in kind of the similar way he backs Varys, saying... I'm a good judge of character. I trust him. And, and which is almost like, is that going to backfire? Anytime a character declares something like that, it's, it's kind of blows up in their face, right? It's like, I'm a good judge of character. Like, oh, well, which of them, who did you mess up then? <laughs> you know? And 
There's a lot of that in the scene. Do you think Tyrion's not going to drink anymore after <laughs> declaring that that's what he does? <laughs> that would be funny. We already have the Hound maybe giving up drinking. I mean, if Tyrion also gives up drinking, I don't know. The show won't be any fun if everyone stops <laughs> drinking. Come on. Uh, so, but we know we're going. Of course, we're going to talk about the northern scenes later. But we do know that Davos and Jon Snow are heading this way with, you know, presumably a few other people. And we've talked about Davos and Melisandre coming together again. That could be very awkward. So we'll have to see how that goes. Here is a super chat from Jaren. Queen Sansa, hashtag EU Accredito Heart. Well, thank you, Jaren. That's uh, that's not a question, obviously, mm-hmm. but yeah, Queen Sansa. There's and one. from Dornish Dan, $20 super chat, Cersei's Revenge. Making Ilaria watch Tyene be brutalized slash killed by the mountain before being tortured herself. Historical basis, first century British Celtic queen Boudicca forced to watch daughters raped by Romans. Well, that's harsh, and it reminds you that as nasty as things that are done by Game of Thrones characters can be, there's often something in the real world that's just as bad or worse that you can find if you look deep enough. We are going to discuss all the possibilities for Tyene and Ilaria a little bit later. So, And, of course, this wasn't an actual question, so thanks very much, Dornish Dan. Uh, we'll get more deep into that later, but thank you very much for pointing that out. I am aware of Queen Boudicca, but I have forgotten about that parallel, and uh, maybe that's one of the things I'm glad I forgot about, because <laughs> that's harsh. But I definitely think it's a great call here. Okay. Um, so they know that John is coming, and of course she says he's going to bend the knee by, you know, that's what she wants anyway. It's, it's really, it's really kind of neat. We have a Tyrion backing up John, which I think is really cool, and these way these things are going to come together, you really wonder, it could go a lot of ways. Like, do you have any, any predictions for how they're going to, how it's going to go when they meet? It's such a big, you know, m- monumental happening in the series for John and Danny to meet, to come together, especially with Tyrion being there too. The people that are probably the top three, well, Daenerys clearly, but the other two who are the top, highest, you know, most regular picks to be dragon riders all together. Do you think maybe... Um, the top three, John, Tyrion, and Danny. Yeah. By the way, has... Well, John... I was saying Danny's not really a, a question at this point. Right. <laughs> uh, it occurs to me that John and... Tyrion. Yeah. It's another reunion that we haven't seen since season one. Yes. Very cool. Can't wait for that. And uh, another thing that we've never seen at all, this is something that Shea brought up. She guessed it on the Game of Owns podcast, and uh, it came up, the idea of Sansa and Danny meeting. Yeah. It seems like, probably not this episode, but it seems like it's something that's likely to happen and would be a great interaction to see. It would have been really cool because, you know, obviously Danny is totally cool with women of power and they may have more to talk about in some regards but john made a good point in the council that he's got to go to her himself it's got to be the queen dealing with the king etc you can't just you can't they can't this can't be done via proxies they have to be face to face they have to do all that uh, so i can see why they did that but yeah it would have been cool for sansa to go there and she would have seen Tyrion that way too and maybe olena <laughs> if olena was yeah, still there yeah. I, I think olena probably has left by now but if she had been there that would have been pretty cool this might not be the moment to get into it, but I wonder if Olena will leave it all. Yeah, I think she did because of raising the army, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. There's no mention of Joffrey frame being uh, the, the framing uh, Tyrion being framed for Joffrey's murder in the scene. So maybe Tyrion's not aware that that happened, or maybe he blames it on Littlefinger. But he absolutely brings up Ilaria's poisoning of Marcella. We knew that would be a problem, but apparently it wasn't a major problem. Tyrion's willing to see the bigger picture and say, "Okay, we need these Dornish soldiers." I'm not going to forget about this, but we need these Dornish soldiers, so... Nah, of course, doesn't look like they're going to have those Dornish soldiers, but we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> and Tyrion brings up another good point about how bad it looks 
having a foreign army besiege King's Landing. That seems pretty smart. But now, again, that's going to be a problem again because the army they wanted to bring there maybe isn't going to be available. Later in the scene, Olena has her alone time with Daenerys. Olena tells her to be a dragon. And this is so different than Olena before. Olena before was all about building and ruling and having a prosperous realm. Now she's all about revenge. Now she's a totally different character. And she's a lot to me like Mary Mazdur. This is, this is very similar. Think of the line, what is life worth when everything else is gone? You know, like, yeah, I'm alive. She's like, Danny's like, I saved your life. And she's like, yeah, you saved my life, but everything I know and loved is gone. And I'm just left with these horrible memories. And that's kind of where Olena is. That's kind of where Tyrion is, but Tyrion's pulled himself together. I wonder if Olena will pull herself together. I'm thinking not. I'm thinking she's doomed, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later, too. And I think, but I think Olena's right, though. I think she says, you're going to have to be a dragon. And Danny's like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this the right way, do this the peaceful way. But the peaceful way is quickly falling apart. And we already have foreshadowing from her House of the Undying vision of King's Landing under either snow or ash. It's ambiguous whether that's snow or ash. But it looks like the Iron Throne is severely compromised. It doesn't look like it's being. It doesn't look like her plans are going to go the way she wants. She's maybe forced to be a dragon, quote unquote, which is what Olena wants. Not just because she thinks it's the right play. It's because she wants bloody revenge, and bloody revenge is not going to happen with these sieges. And it's not the. It's not the method she would choose. It's also worth pointing out she's forced to do this. She's not. She's not really forced to do it. She's. She may be forced to do it. If she wants to be queen of all the seven kingdoms, right? But mm-hmm. it's this type of ambition that gets people killed. It's this yeah. type of thing that starts wars. John doesn't want to be king of the north. He recognizes there's this threat. Yeah. There's these real monsters coming for us. So I guess I'm going to have to be a leader and go to war. And he he but, recognizes he's the best right. choice to lead them. Yeah, But he, he learned his leadership experience was this sucks. You have to kill people. You know, you yeah, have to do yeah. things you don't do believe in. Things, yeah. You have to be misleading. Like hang Ollie. <laughs> yeah, all these awful things that go along with the ambition yeah. of this leadership role. Given that Danny wants to be Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, okay, fine, maybe she's forced to burn King's Landing, but they flat out say it would be easy for you to conquer Westeros. But yeah. to rule afterwards, you know, that's that's a different thing. And and that's why she takes this sort of slower, more long term method, which is so far, not working so well. To be fair, this was a surprise. They didn't anticipate this Navy coming. Boris has failed them, it true seems. That, true <laughs> that. Well, here's the other thing. This is this is maybe... Um, she doesn't have any military advisors. None of these people are generals. None of the people advising her are generals. So it's, it's understand... In fact, she should make mistakes because she doesn't have yeah, experience with generals. True. She has politicians helping her. She has Elena and Tyrion, people who are good at management, who have experience with the population, who know a lot of things. None of them are war leaders. None Tyrion of Tyrion has some minor experience with some, it. yeah, he has some, and on some level, Grey Worm is, but they're not generals. Right. They're they're temporary leaders or lower level leaders. Grey Worm is a captain, yeah. not a general, meaning he is an expert at tactics and leadership on the battlefield, and you know, being a tough badass. But he's not a tactician. He's not he's a strategist. Long term strategist. Yeah, he's not a strategist. Right? At least that's not the role they've shown him in. So. That is consistent, and I think that is good that there's mistakes being made because she doesn't have that kind of leadership. And whereas Cersei has Jaime, who is a very experienced leader, and Euron is fairly experienced as well, and um, more so than, say, Asha uh, or Yara. God, I always do that. Yara. (laughs) And that showed. (laughs) Not to mention there's probably a bunch of other Lannister or people connected to the Lannisters who are military leaders that aren't necessarily featured on the show, but they're there. Yeah. They're in the capital, you know, (laughs) it's not like Jamie's the only one or whatever, so. 
So another, here's a funny aside question. Um, uh, how will Dennis, Dennis, Danny and Varys react to learning that John was resurrected? I wonder about that. I'm curious about it. Do you have any thoughts on that? I wonder if it's just going to be like, whoa, or, or like, or if that, or Mel's under, like, yes, yeah, I told you he's special. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've thought about it a little bit because it's come up several times how other people who seem like they should have had a conversation about this and it kind of just skimmed over it hasn't, they haven't made much of a big deal about it. So I'm kind of thinking they just won't again. Like maybe he'll say it and I'm like, okay, interesting. Tell me more. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like they're not going to be, you know, I don't know how to say this, you know, the types of extreme reactions that you might expect that might create drama or storylines. I don't think will come. One might be like, oh, really? Oh my God. And they fall to their knees and worship him. You know, that's probably <laughs> not going to happen. And the other might be like, what bullcrap? We think you're lying. Get out of here. We can't trust you after all. I, I don't think either of those are going to happen. I think they'll they'll accept it and move forward. Yeah. I had two thoughts. Something I wanted to say earlier and something I thought of just now. Okay, go for it. Melisandre might try to take this bit of information and twist it in some way. Mm. Twist isn't quite the right word, but like help win people to her side, to her religion. Does that make sense? Yeah. This, this, whether it is or not, she could use this as proof of her God's true power. Mm. And, and that actually, I mean, to jump in, it was specifically pointed out, the question was asked, are there a lot of red priest worshippers in Westeros? And Melisandre's like, no, not no, yet. Not she yet, says, yeah. not yet. And, uh, <laughs> and Melisandre might be misguided, or she might be exactly correct, but either way, it would make sense for her to trump up her religion with this. And whether it is real or not, or works or not, similar to Stannis, I can imagine Danny or some members of this council being like, all right, well, it's real power. If John really did come back... You know, Tyrion will have to accept this truth. Tyrion, mm -hmm. who is more of a skeptic than most of these mystical things, if he has to accept <laughs> this, he might be more accepting of Melisandre and her religion overall. That's true. That's true. You know, and uh, yeah, the whole and we had that little parallel that we didn't mention. The whole, I'll, you know, burning Varys if you tr betray me is kind of reminds you of Melisandre burning Shireen. Not that now, Shireen betrayed anyone. Let's but. push this even farther. <laughs> this is the thing I wanted to talk about earlier that I just forgot about. Think how many other parallels there are between Melisandre and Varys. Yeah. Danny just runs through Varys' history of moving from one leader to the next. And here comes Melisandre. And starting at the bottom, as a slave, even. Both of them did. Right. Varys just got through telling Danny about his childhood, struggling through and being oppressed. I didn't grow up wealthy. Here comes Melisandre. I was a slave as a kid, and here I am now. Like, they have a lot later. of parallels <laughs> yeah. being presented to us. That's yeah. really cool. So that might be something that maybe that's how Varys gets over his hatred of magic, is that he learns, he, he finds, he bonds with someone who had a similar upbringing, and he kind of... Was able to see, okay, well, not all magic users are evil, even though this one burned a girl and sent a shadow baby after Renly. <laughs> he won't, she won't care about that part. <laughs> it, it may, it may help him buy in, but it may just be that they're building this comparison so that there can be a contrast also. Something I've thought about, like, I think I talked about this in the preseason episode that we yeah. did, that I expect to see, like, one of my predictions is that there are going to be people who are on the same side with the same goals disagreeing about how to go about it what the yeah. plan should be and we're already seeing that a little bit then there's going to be monkey wrenches in the plans that they come up with in the first place mm -hmm. and so i can see despite melisandre and varus's similar histories and intentions they might still butt heads on over what they think they're supposed to do next Right on. Okay, so Grey Worm Masande. Interesting. A lot of people noticed that this appears to have been Shireen's room at one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so not much to say about that other than it's a funny coincidence. 
Another prediction I had, by the way, yeah. I had a bunch of predictions, and one of them was boobs, and I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you really went out on a limb with that prediction, didn't you? Jacob Anderson was awesome in this scene. Uh, the, I thought the dialogue was really good. I know a lot of people can't stand the Grey Worm Asande scenes, and well, if that's if you're one of them, well, it seems like they won't be seeing each other again for a long time, so you at least can take heart knowing that there probably won't be one of these again, maybe ever. But if so, if there is one again this season, it'll be at the end when they're reunited. But Grey Worm's gone on campaign now, so they're not they're nowhere near each other. Should, should, I, should I make some bad puns? Are you asking if I am against puns? <laughs> well, I said bad puns. I'm not. But, there's no such thing as a, That's an oxymoron. There's no such I, thing as a bad pun. <laughs> I nailed it, but Grey Worm couldn't. Yeah, hey He also didn't have a limb to go out on. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. But yeah, I, lo- I really liked his speech about fear and how he was always the best because he didn't have fear and then now there's something that he's afraid. That was really good writing. As much as, even if you hate that they spent time on this scene, uh, you, it's hard to deny that the writing is really good. You can, you can, you know, go, disagree with their choice of having the scene, but I think it was re- well done, you know, d- uh, putting that aside. So I think it was great to have this scene. I think yeah. they probably could have done it slightly less gratuitously. It'd be hard for me to sit down with my mom and dad and watch this scene. <laughs> but I think they still could have had it without... I, I think it was good, you know. Yeah. And it was also another moment of great facial acting. There was a very subtle moment when Masunday wanted to take his pants off and at first he says no she's like i want to see and they both are just standing there for a moment and his head just gives the slightest nod just the slightest nod and she moves forward and i thought it was a the turmoil you could see going through him in this moment was uh yeah there's a there's, it's interesting to look at the, the the fact is there's a lot of relationships in game of thrones that are tainted or touched by trauma like brienne is a great example people talk about brienne and torment and how she's not like interested in torment but it's not just that she's not interested in torment. She's never had like a normal, healthy people. Well, the first time anyone was attracted to her, it was a joke, and so that's yeah. tra- that's traumatic. Grey Worm, of course, is traumatized because he, ob- for ob- very obvious reasons, and Masande has never really had been able to have a relationship either because she's been a slave her whole life. First of all, let me point out, even without these particular stresses on people uh, that might have them struggle with relationships. People struggle with relationships anyway, Jesus. Yeah, 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 like, yeah right? It's, it's, it's not it's, it's easy, hard. man. It's yeah. a hard thing. And it's and it's good that they can do these things in the midst of so much war that it's important to keep these human elements. I know some yeah. people, are again, don't like the scene, but I think that it's important that they do these sort of things. We got a super chat yeah. here. The uh, Phoenix uh, uh, of Skane. Skane is uh, the island, the smaller island off the coast of Skagos. So this is a cool nickname. <laughs> the Phoenix of Skane. That's really cool. The question is, Masande needs to do something else besides translate and have sex. What role do you see her having? Well, first, I think I slightly disagree. I think she does more than translate and have sex. She several times has sort of intervened with counsel. Danny has asked her for advice. I, I pointed out again the way she kind of held Grey Worm back. There's a certain... I don't know how to say this tone that needs to be maintained, a certain etiquette and protocol when you're dealing with royalty and big egos and et cetera, et cetera. And she, I think, is the glue holding all this together. Does that make sense? And Mm. it it might be subtle. And maybe she could or should do more. But I just want to say I do think she has a significant role here. And it's You know, I did wonder that. I I had her last season. I had her on my list of worries because I couldn't see her role, especially as she goes to Westeros. In fact... Masande herself, the actress, whose name Natalie Emanuel, uh, she was asked at Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, do you think that Danny should have named you Hand? And she's she said, No, 
you know, it would have been cool if she had been named Han, but she gets why she's not from there. She's an expert on what was going on in Essos. She was the great number two over there because she understood. Now, look, at Tyrion had very little to do over there. He had some good advice to give, but he sat around drinking, trying to make jokes. And it's because he didn't know the population. Now he's in Westeros and he knows what's up. And Masande has a little bit less to do. So I wondered about that too. But I, I agree with you. There's, there's some subtle things she does. And she's really important to Daenerys personally as well. And her role might become more important if there's a need to mediate between Masan- uh, Melisandre and Varys and or Danny. Yeah, but it's fair to worry about her if you think... Anytime you find a character that you struggle to think of what they're going to do... It, it's, it's <laughs> what a, they might do is die. <laughs> yeah, what they might do is go look for another job. <laughs> Good luck on that next audition, right? Okay, question from Carrie Neves or Nevis. There seemed to be heavy foreshadowing in this episode, such as that Tyrion might not be as reliable as Danny thinks, that Varys might change allegiance, that Sam will end up in control of the Reach and write A Song of Ice and Fire, a.k.a. a more poetic telling if the history of Westeros since, since Robert's Rebellion. That something big in the other's army will die by scorpion bolt. That Lord Tarly and Dickon will die by fire, hence the Ricard name drop. Thoughts? Also, I've seen a lot of discussion about the possibility that others will simply go around the wall now that the ocean is frozen. Okay, so that's actually several questions. <laughs> um, I think that was, first of all, I don't think that was a Ricard name drop. I thought you said Rickon, not Ricard. But. I, I listened to it again, and just audibly listening, it was hard for me to tell. I don't know how much of it's like you're expecting him to mispronounce it in a similar way. Yeah. But the subtitles... Definitely said Ricard. Ricard. Yeah. All right, then. Good catch. And Good catch. Okay. With, with the subtitles, I don't know how much that was influencing how I heard it. I, I can't quite decide. But. And now, the idea that they'll die by fire, well, I like that idea. It could certainly happen, especially given that they have just, they seem to be, uh, team, you know, going along with Jamie's request to join them. So, that puts them against Daenerys. So, yeah, I could see them dying by fire. That's certainly... Mm-hmm. Incidentally, um, well, no, we'll get to that later, but uh, as far as the question of Sam in control of the Reach and writing a song of Ice and Fire, we'll address that later. As far as Tyrion, maybe not as reliable as Danny thinks, absolutely. I think that whole I'm a good judge of character thing means he was either wrong about John or wrong about Varys, and I don't think he's wrong about John. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it could be that he's wrong about Varys, um, or it could be neither. I, I could be reading too much into that. We often, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, it pays to look deep, but occasionally looking deep is wrong it's the type of thing later on if something happens you can go back to a moment like this and be like oh yeah Ah, they're hinting at it all along that's right but they are i don't know i don't feel right now it's destined to go that way right now as far as the question of the others going around the wall now that the ocean is frozen as we said at the beginning we're going to discuss that in our new saturday streams where we tackle anything related to the next episode and future episodes that we actually have information on as far as speculation we'll do that throughout and you know always on a drop of a hat but for things we specifically know and for trailer screenshots things like that we're gonna save all that for saturday stream time to be announced it'll be early afternoon look out for the posting on youtube and twitter and facebook next question is from lord mark of house joseph snow and winterfell who is also by the way helping us out with some managing the chat room a bit giving a an assist so thanks for that why the hell would Danny have her fleet ferry the Dornish when they have a shorter walk than the Tyrells? Whatever, I get it. Moving the plot forward. But to be honest, my fears are coming true. I think they're rushing to the end. They are having Sam find out who Jorah is, find a cure, get shot down by Archmaester, and do the procedure anyway, all in one episode. So Grayscale is pointless. They will only use Jorah to get Danny north now. Do you, like me, feel like they're rushing to the end now? Well... I've felt like they've been rushing the whole time, other than some parts of maybe season one and maybe a few mm-hmm. other, you know, intermittent things. So, yeah, I do think that, you know, I do think that's kind of what's happened with Jorah. There's not going to be a big result with Grayscale. I think that might be different in the books, but obviously that's not, this is not the time for that. 
You have some thoughts? I have a couple thoughts. One is that I think that they play around with time. I think that everything we see yes. in one episode didn't necessarily happen concurrent to the other things we're seeing in that episode. It didn't all happen in one hour or one day or even one week. It might have been, I think everything we've seen with Sam might have happened over months. That's just been condensed down to these scenes we've seen over a couple of episodes. And while we might see months of time play out with Sam over two episodes, we might only see a week of time play out between Sansa and John. Just for example, yes, you know, yes. I think that I, I accept that there can be some incongruity with the time presentation of the different plot lines. Additionally, I, I don't know if they have time for this. I also feel like it's being rushed because I think just, I think that Mira and Bran getting to the wall, that could have been like a movie all to its own. That easily could have been, you know, the struggle of yeah. them trying to get food and stay warm and her dragging him along. It's the type of thing that rangers on the wall would be proud of. And this young girl with a crippled boy does it. That could have been a whole adventure to itself and it's just one scene and it's just done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a million things I think they could and wish they would elaborate on, but I also understand they can't have 20 episodes per season. There's a budget, et cetera, et cetera. So I definitely understand, you know, progressing the plot I appreciate that despite rushing things, sometimes they still take their time with moments like Sunday and Grey Worm. People just argue about which they should moments they should take their time with. And yeah. some people object to that particular one being used because it could have been something else like this. All that is to say that I think that there could still be a conflict with the the Dragonglass. Like if, if, sure. if Sam screws this up and he gets Grayscale and spreads it to the Maester and, and all of a sudden Old Town is right infested. And so John's saying... Hey, we need Dragonglass at the wall, and Old Town saying, "Hey, we gotta, we need Dragonglass." Yeah, that, that could be a be new conflict. That could be something. It could resource uh, shortage. Yeah, yeah I, I like that idea a lot. I don't, I don't know that they have time for that in the show. I really like the idea. Maybe it'll happen in the books. But I'm torn because on one hand, there's a lot of things I think about, and I'm like, well, they don't have time for that. But on the other hand, there's a lot of ways that I think they need to slow down. Danny's just gonna like waltz through everyone. Well, you see, what's why, the yeah. conflict gonna be? They've clearly shown why that's not gonna happen. Right, but, they're, but they're giving things. us some conflicts. Um, but they still have, as few as it is, they do still have 13-ish more episodes to go through between two seasons. Yeah. So if they can have, like, you know, everything Lord Mark of House Joseph just went through can happen in one day, well, they might also, or in one episode, in two episodes, they might be able to have an outbreak of grayscale and then in the next episode, cure the outbreak of grayscale. You know? <laughs> yeah. That might seem rushed. That would but be rushed, but they would at least do it. It would stave off Danny's overwhelming forces for a couple episodes and create a conflict that might make new drama between alliances if John is coming to Danny saying, hey, yeah. I need a dragon glass, and then someone says, Danny, hey, no, et cetera, et cetera. You know? right, we need to move on. Um, Mar uh, to answer the part about why the Dornish uh, are being ferried instead of being, instead of walking, well, that, I guess we can maybe crack chalk that up to Danny's lack of military leadership. Also, don't they have to go through like a mountain pass? Is yeah, but they can train. They control that mountain pass completely, um, so that way it shouldn't be a problem. Oh, it would be a it, it is it would be a huge problem if the Olenas no longer control the Reach though, because the Reach could then hold that pass, and then the Darnish Army would be trapped there. Okay, Dornish Dan, by the way, points out that on his subtitles it was Rickon, not not Ricard. Oh, really? So mm. we that is considered that's that's an open question. So I guess we can't really know what was going on there. We may have to we need maybe need further clarification there. Okay, let's move on to the north. We have John getting a raven from Old Town and a raven from Dragonstone, but he hasn't gotten a raven from Ed about Bran. But I think that we can answer that the same reason the that the wall didn't send a note to sit to the Citadel about Aemon dying is there's no maester there. 
they don't have a maester anymore, so there's just no... They may not even have ravens anymore. Yeah, they might be short on resources. They don't have anyone that can manage it. It could yeah. be a lot of things. So I think that that works as an explanation, I think. Um, now, this a common complaint I've seen, let's... Um, Shay's going to pull up an image here as well, but first, first we're going to talk about what keeps happening here. It's it's slightly annoying. I can kind of, kind of understand why they're doing it, which is they're trying to save time by having not have a council, like a meeting where Sansa and John talk about things, and then they reveal their plans to the crowd. They keep having these conversations in front of the crowd where neither of them knows what the other's going to say. Sansa keeps interrupting John, and John keeps dropping bombs on Sansa, and they could have just had a conversation about this ahead of time. It's just it's a little bit silly. I can kind of understand why they're not why they're doing that because it saves time. But then they go and do that with Cersei with with Danny's scene where Elaria and Olena present what their ideas are, but Tyrion and Danny have already discussed the plan and then they lay it out. Right. So they could have done it that way. Right. I don't think it's bad writing. I think it's John, mostly John, and also Sansa being poor leaders. Oh, I agree. I don't think yeah. it's bad writing. I do think it's poor leadership. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Or at least it's fair too. to call it that. Yeah. yeah. After the fact, Olena and Danny had the conversation. She's like, be a dragon. She didn't, in the middle of that meeting, say, no, you need to be more aggressive in research. She waited till it was over and then told her, you know. Whereas yes. I think that Sansa, I think, understands that she shouldn't have these arguments in front of everyone with John, but also John's not giving her a choice. He's making these huge, bold moves without telling anyone. In front of everyone. In front yeah, of yeah, everyone. It's really not good leadership. Yeah. <laughs> John is a great is another is a good example. Like John is kind of in the opposite spot of Daenerys and Tyrion. Like he's got fantastic military leadership around him. Like how to handle troops, how to train troops. We're seeing the girls and boys being trained at the beginning of this episode. That's already underway. And he's dynamite at that, except for when he, you know, charges, you know, because he lost his temper, you know, stupid things like that. But it's a it's a parallel. Like you have the military expertise is on John's side with no understanding of politics and managing, you know, these big egos of these nobles and all their various, you know, things that they want and need and believe in. Whereas Daenerys and Tyrion have a great understanding of that, but a poor understanding of military strategy. So I think... That might be part of what they realize the other side each has when they come together. They might be like, hey, hey, you're good at this. We're good at this. Hey, you have you have dragons. We have the wall. You know, we have the Night's Watch, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, hey, we could team up really well. So th- there's a lot of fit there. There's a lot of natural, yeah. like, not, you know, like skill sets that, you know, would work well together. What do we think, though, about Sansa being in charge now? What do we think is going to happen with that? That's pretty interesting. With uh, and Littlefinger was certain, Littlefinger had two reactions in that scene. First, it was he he reacted to hearing that Tyrion is Danny's hand. That was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> and then there's I'm leaving. You're in charge, Sansa. And then Littlefinger's like, huh? Now that maybe I can work with. Of course, so far, and uh, so we have a lot of back and forth there. But also, we have this letter coming in from from Tyrion. Let's bring that up on screen. You know, John is like, I trust Tyrion, and she. We see a change in John. He is asking for Sansa's advice. He says, I don't think Tyrion would do this because I met him. Blah blah blah. But you know him even better than I do, and yeah. and takes takes her advice. So John's listening. You know, he's still making a ton of mistakes, like this leadership stuff we just talked about. But he's listening to Sansa, which is a big step forward. Right. I was going to say that just because it's not like everyone's going to do everything perfectly or do everything wrong. They're going to get some things right and some things wrong, and so. You know, John isn't going to suddenly become a perfect leader. He's going to make mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> now, here's a timing question as far as... Now, John is going to leave. Sansa's going to be in charge. And presumably during that time, both Bran and Arya are going to show up. 
But in what order, who knows? Yeah. And in how that's going to go, who knows? Bran showing up is a little interesting because it's he technically comes before either John or Sansa in the succession. I don't think they're going to bother dealing with that because no one's going to support him, and I don't think he's going to want it. So I don't think that matters too much, but it bears mention because it might matter. Could Arya cross paths with John? On his way to Dragonstone? If she's unlikely. Northeast, Very unlikely. South. That was that They should not be remotely going the same way. Okay. She should be coming up through the neck, and he should be going down to White Harbor to take ship. So, yeah, okay. they, there's there's almost no chance of that. They shouldn't They shouldn't cross paths. If they do, that would be awkward. <laughs> will John eventually tire, to be, will eventually tire of being compared to Rob at every turn? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I'm not sure... I don't, know, I don't think he minds that. I think he, he loved Rob and, you know, I don't think he wants to be associated with Rob's mistakes. But the idea that Rob was a heroic leader that people rallied behind is a lot what's lot, kind of a lot what's happened with John. It might bother him more if Rob had also been resurrected. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So Tyrion's letter is interesting. It's neat to see. I love the comment. I like how they handled that with the all bastards are, you know, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. It's a clever way to make the note seem authentic. One of many callbacks to early season stuff. Yes, a lot of those happening this season, which is great. A lot of re reunitings or at least people reconnecting through Raven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, let's move forward to the crypt where we have a really cool image that Shay is going to pull up here. So this scene was not at all what we predicted, was it? We were like, oh, yeah. maybe some R plus L equals J. Maybe John, he finds out of his parentage. I guess we read a little too much into Lyanna's statue. But we have this cool Ned statue. That's nice. <laughs> I, maybe not, but I still, I'm still predicting that Littlefinger tells John who he is. Wouldn't don't you think it's going to be Bran now? Doesn't that push it more? Like before we thought it would be Bran corroborating it. But now right. it might just be Bran flat out being the one to tell him. Like we don't know for sure that Littlefinger knows this. It's always just been like, well, yeah. maybe it'll be Littlefinger. We didn't have other options. But now it looks more... I, I, I'm switching my guess to Bran now. I think Littlefinger might get involved in that whole thing. But I, I, I'm officially switching my guess to Bran being the first to mention it. I'm not super confident, but it's still what I think is most likely. Okay, cool. One thing, a little bit of undertone. So in the scene is John's or John's protectiveness of Sansa, who's not actually his sister, but that's who he thinks it is. And Littlefinger just flat out saying, "I'm in love with Sansa, or I want Sansa." And John is not <laughs> cool with yeah. that. And I liked that they said this in the crypt because John being protective of his sister is very much an echo of Ned being really protective of Lyanna, and those statues were right there. So that was a nice touch where they had that scene, even though it fooled the hell out of us leading up to it. <laughs> I know that Littlefinger comes across super creepy here, but I still... Like, a lot of people have asked the question, why would he say that? He's supposed to be smart. Why did he say this? I, I think the answer is because it's gen it's a two-part, two-fold answer. Is that A, he's genuine. He really does love her. However misguided or creepy he is, I think he really does have... These, this emotional attachment or concern for her. And that, you know, when you account for that, there's going to be some emotions getting in the way of rationale. You know mm. what I mean? He's more likely to make a mistake when he has this yes. emotion around her. And Very maybe it's true. an inappropriate emotion. Maybe he should just put it in the back of his mind and move on with his life. You know, maybe he's making mistakes. But I think, to, to me, I think it makes sense. And it's sort of tragic that he mm -hmm. had this love that he could never get. Yeah. And now he has supplanted Sansa in that love's place and is yeah, obsessed lo over love it. in quotes here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's still, I, I don't think it's like conniving or lustful or something like that. You know, I don't think he's like this evil old man. I think he's just misguided and confused and ambitious and... He is evil, but not for this reason. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
Yeah, and also to to whatever extent he's evil, and it so is, is Varus yeah. and Danny and mm-hmm. King Robert, and you know all these They've other all characters are done evil bad things, in right? A sense, yeah, and Littlefinger's weakness is Sansa. Like it's both of the things that is causing them maybe to be lead to their downfall is is, is things like this. And Mister Amon brings this up very early on in the series that you know it's hard to have love and duty at the same time. Yeah, they, one is is the death of the other. Uh, Eliana, our friend Eliana, um, who's at Twitter the Shitadol. What's a great name? <laughs> That's her current nickname, anyway. Reminds us that Ned also choked Littlefinger for yeah. saying a lecherous thing. He's like, "Cat's here in the brothel." He's like, ah, "You're a funny man. You're a funny <laughs> man, aren't you?" And it's like Littlefinger's got to be tired of being choked by Starks. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a feeling there's a, a bigger wound coming from him at the hands of a Stark. We'll see. <laughs> We are above 600 live viewers now. Thanks very much, everybody. That's so awesome. That might be the most we've ever had. And um, our channel keeps growing, and you guys keep being awesome. So shout out to everyone. Thanks very much. Shoot for 6,000. Shoot for (laughs) 6,000. If each of you tells 10 people. (laughs) (laughs) That would be... We wouldn't even be able to read the chat box. It would just be be like turbo flying past. If we get 6,000, we'll do a 24-hour episode. We'll do a marathon episode. (laughs) I don't know if I can agree to that. Okay, no, I agree to that. Yeah, sure. If we have 6,000 live viewers, yes, we'll do a 24-hour stream. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a couple questions here before we move on to the next section. We have a question from Jinx Lier. Will Sansa execute Littlefinger while John is gone? And will she swing the sword herself? Well, I mean, the girls are learning training, but so far she hasn't been a part of that. I'm not sure if that will. That was a question we had last time. I'm not sure if that'll happen. Um, I think it's a, entirely possible that John will be gone quite a while and a lot will happen while she's gone or while he's gone. I don't know that if, if Littlefinger did something to deserve execution, I kind of doubt John would come back and be like, why did you do that? I think that'll, you know, not that, not that that's what the question is saying, not that he's like, she's, she's asking, well, would that be a, a mistake? But just will it happen? I think it's entirely possible that it'll happen while he's gone. He might if it means they lose the troops of the Vale. Yeah. That Which would is be why a, I think mm-hmm. it won't happen. Sansa knows that she, she already, we've seen, she's putting up with him. Because she has to. And, and Littlefinger brings it up in the crypts. When John's all mad, he's like, I don't have anything to say to you. And he's like, not even thanks. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, that was a good thing to say. Because John is the kind of guy that can't easily just shove aside thanks like that. He's too good of a man to be like, nah, that didn't matter. <laughs> you know, he's got to admit that that was huge. And he is realistic enough to know that they need those troops. Like, look at the yeah. how he's put himself on a line to get wildlings. And, it's, right, like, yeah. that was a bigger challenge in dealing with Littlefinger, right? Yes, so. very good point. Um, and this is, she also asked, how will the North and her family react to what she did to the phrase? I think they'll be like both kind of like, yay, but how? How did you do that? They'll be alarmed at her capacity. I don't know if she'll tell them. I don't Ooh, think she'll tell them. We've already point. seen her kind of hide it, you know, one or two, you know, when she's asked about the pies. That's a good point. I didn't even consider the possibility that she'll just keep it quiet. That's it might be discovered, idea. and when it is, they might not be happy about it. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. How would they discover that she did that? Yeah, I don't know. But maybe it's eventually... Maybe oh. Melisandre knows. Well, also, Bran Bran could might just know. see it, and she tells him, hey, tell them that, Snow, you know, the Starks, that North remembers that winter came for House Frey. If that, if word spreads that those words were uttered there, they'd be like, well, who did this? So yeah. I don't know if they'd just be like, was that you? Because that would be a weird assumption. To like, jump to that. Yeah. yeah, be like, Arya, did you want to, is that you? <laughs> like, oh, caught me. Oh, yeah, I killed all the Freys. <laughs> okay. Um, By the way, I think it'd be awesome to see Arya teaching Sansa how to sword fight. <laughs> 
Here's a Q&A from First Ranger. Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield. Who do you think will be the at Winterfell first, Bran or Arya? We saw Bran in the trailer at the Heart Tree in Winterfell, but maybe he will stay at Castle Black first to warn the Night's Watch and speak to Ed. Arya could be at Winterfell next episode or anytime later. Will she have stuff to do on her way north? The only thing I can think of Arya having to do on her way north is encountering the Brotherhood on her way. That's the only thing I can, that I could conceive of. I mean, maybe she stops at Greywater Watch and meets Howland Reed. That, that would be awesome, but I really don't think they're going to do that. I'm suspicious. I got to tell you, I... I, I I can't I can't say what I think is going to happen or why, but I feel like if Arya gets to the north, it's going to be late. It's going to be end of the season. Oh, really? But she, that would feeling. be so weird with given that she's already heading there. Like, what's yeah, going to delay her? That I don't long? know. I don't know. Like why, I said, okay, I don't why have, do you feel this way? I can't explain it. I'm sorry, right. I can't explain it. It's just a feeling I have. I <laughs> well, just, all for the record, I completely disagree. With that. <laughs> I think she's going to be at Winterfell as soon as next episode of the one after. I do not think it'll take that long. So I think I think uh, Bran's going to get there first, but I, because he's already been kind of sat on for an episode. But I really don't have a strong. I really that, don't feel strong about that. that. I think that's my reason. I think it's more of a time flow literary reason that they have mm. other stuff to cover. That once she gets there, I don't know how much there will be to do with her there. Say she got there this episode or next episode. What is she going to do there for the next five episodes? Well, she gets there after Bran. Well, she gets she gets there around the same time as Bran, and Bran uses visions or whatever and finds out something, and then that gives Arya a mission or something to do. So what would that be? That, that's not the point. The point is that Bran is a huge I, opportunity for a million possibilities. I guess what I'm saying is that whatever mission she might get would also take a few episodes to play out. So if she doesn't get there right away, there's not enough time for a new mission. And I think she's not going to get there right away because they've already put a pin in a couple characters that they need to get back to. So I think they're going to put a pin in her. And then by the time she does get there, it's too late for a new thing to start up. So yeah. maybe second or last episode. Well, that, that's still. I mean, then then they then that would mean that their brand is they've delayed brand too. Well, they delayed him up to now, but now I get to think they're going to start on him. Well, he's yeah, got more now, to do. once he's there, they can have Arya come into that mix. I suppose, easily. yeah, yeah. But so okay, so I guess we both agree, even though we very much disagree about when. We do agree with the ordering. Brand It'll be Bran then Arya. So, but that's we could easily be wrong about that because this is this is pretty wide open. Uh, next question: <laughs> Has Aziz ever gotten Maslakarth's colors right on the first try? Only in the scripted episode <laughs> where I write it out completely. <laughs> Alicia, the everlasting Lady of Desert Rose, asks: Is anyone else worried about Sansa's longevity now? The last wave between her and John is reminiscent of the last wave between Sam and John, and we all know what happened to John, or at least it's just assuring us that John always comes back. Yeah, I've never really been worried about Sansa dying. Never at any point have I thought she was going to die. I, maybe I have and I'm forgetting it, but I I really don't think that... I, I think she has some of the strongest plot armor in all the series at this point. I feel that way more now. I, I generally have always felt that way, but I was a little unsure for a couple episodes there with Ramsay. I thought that she might eat it then. But once she lived through that, now I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Question from Lord Osborne of Castle Weirwood. Since Jon Snow is a man of the people who puts people ahead of political gain, I'm convinced he will bend the knee after seeing the arsenal Danny holds. What's your opinion on Jon bending the knee or not? I think there's a very strong chance he considers that. It would really piss off the Northerners, though. I think he will, for a couple reasons. One, I think this logic is pretty strong as to why. What do you think? Well, yeah. yeah, well, I think I have a lot of reasons why. One is because I don't think he actually cares about being king of the North, so he's got no ego involved. Whereas Danny does. Right. <laughs> Two, she thinks it's hers, yeah. I think he'll recognize it's the correct smart thing. It's it, only it, way. If, if yeah. I have to kneel to get these dragons in Obsidian, then I'm going to kneel to yeah. get this dragon. Yeah. And yeah. it's also probably smart, even aside from the threat of the zombies, it's probably smart to... Be united with a group of people with a common goal rather than going to war against them. You know what I mean? 
But on top of all that, just think about how John behaves. We just talked about how over and over again he makes up his mind about something and he goes and tells everyone. I think he's going to go bend the knee and come back and, oh, by the way, I bend the knee, everyone. Like, you know what? I'll have a big argument, but it's too late because he's already done it. <laughs> Good question. Okay, so uh, finally we have from the Bastard of Wolfswood. Is the show just trying to reinforce the importance of Dragonglass by showing us so much arrowhead symbolism? Or could this be foreshadowing something we have yet to figure out? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, like, arrowhead-type mentions, just not just of Sandor's vision of the mountain, uh, the shape like an arrowhead, plus all this talk of dragonglass arrows, and we see the little kids practicing archery, and there's a lot of that. I think it's... But I don't know if it's... I think it's what it's aiming to be. I think it is just leading us up to archers and obsidian arrows having a large part in the war against the against the dead. I don't know that there's more to it than that, but I'm, I'm open to ideas. If y'all have something to say... Throw it at us. It doesn't seem like you have any particular... I, I did have a neat image in my mind when John was talking about making arrows out of the obsidian I, of just, you know, someone with these... Just surrounded by these zombies that's just like <laughs> shattering through them all in this flow of flinging swords. I think it'd be an awesome scene. Okay. Well, I think this is our... This is our... We'll, we'll call this the halfway point. We may go longer in the second half than the first half, as we sometimes do. But we'll go ahead and call it that. So I'm going to give a shout-out to our Northern Champions before we just talk about Sean's shirt here. <laughs> so thanks to Jay Wilson, Winter's King, Sir Stephen, the Hammerer of the North, Winter's King, Lord of the First Men, Lady Ar Ardross, Mother of Wolves, who has a question coming, Sir Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, always has good questions for us as well, Sir Brian, the Returned, Knight of the Last House, Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Song, and last but not least, Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, Words are Wind, Deeds are Stone, well said. Okay, so here's the deal with Sean's shirt. Well, maybe you want to tell the story. You want to tell the story? Sure, yeah. When we were at the con, Con of Thrones, which was awesome in a bunch of ways, we've talked about it a few times already, one of the people we met there was Val from Because Geek, and because Val, she does a bunch of uh, YouTubing, and um, she introduces to this game, it's an online service, Jackbox, and they have a bunch of different games you can play, and you, you and your friends can like log on to your phone to whatever, there's trivia games and things like Apples to Apples, stuff like that. And so we were playing it with each other, our roommates and people that we met at the con from across the country. One of the games they have is, uh, well, I've forgotten what, what the name of the game is, um, but the idea is you're, you're making t-shirts. TKO. TKO. That's right. T-shirt. TKO. And so the game will prompt you with your phone to like draw pictures. You just draw like with your finger on your phone. They're pretty crappy. Even if you're a good artist, it's hard to do. You have like 30 seconds or something, you know, to like draw something. And then it prompts everyone to like make statements, just slogans or funny lines or whatever, you know, just do it. Look at me now. You know, all men must die, whatever it is, you know. And then it shuffles up all the drawings and all the statements among all the players, and then they get to piece them together into t-shirts. It's so funny. Then it it's presents the t-shirts, yeah. Then it presents the t-shirts for everyone to vote on, you know. Now, here's the thing. This game can be streamed, and we are going to be doing that probably not during the season. It's a little too hectic, maybe at the end of the season, certainly after the season, if not before. And the thing is... People can log in and vote on the shirts, even if you're not one of the main players. So we can have you guys, as in all of you, we can have up to 10,000 people in the audience voting on the funniest answer, voting on the best t-shirt, things like that. So it's super fun. And you get to hear us talk about it while we're playing. So we're going to try to find ways to do that during our 24-hour stream. Eliana says, yeah, well, that would be a good time for it. But <laughs> yeah, if <laughs> we get 10,000 people in our audience, we'll do it for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> What about for 48 hours? You so, heard it here. 
highly. <laughs> Shay's like, no, stop that. So that's a really, so we're going to look for ways, just yet another way for us to interact with y'all in a really fun way. And Shea has been writing questions for you. You can actually make up your own questions and, you, and she's been writing Game of Thrones questions, and I plan on helping out with that. I've got a lot of ideas. I just haven't written them down yet. For some so. of the games other than a t-shirt one. Right, that's or, not the t-shirt yeah. game. But there's a lot of different versions of these yeah. games. One of them is like, some of them are trivia. Some of them are just mad libs, like write the funniest answer to this question and vote on which one's the funniest. So you can see why that would be a lot of fun. The t-shirt one, though, you can buy the t-shirt. That's why like, he has this. Yeah, yes. yeah. At the this end of the game. This one too good. Uh, the, for the people seeing this, you could probably see this, but listeners, you can't see that it says, look me sideways, but there's the picture drawing on here is an ice cream cone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on point, this shirt. Anyway. Usually I lick an ice cream cone just up and down, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> okay, so let's move on with the content. Back to it. Let's go to King's Landing. We've got a couple of cool things here. First of all, the in the throne room, we've got Cersei giving her, I don't know, what would you call this, like textbook fascism speech, you know, fear <laughs> yeah. the foreigners, you know, uh, great acting there. Lord of the Chicken Dance and others pointed out, really good speech, really good acting from Lena Headey. She's just fantastic. And it's it's well done. Like, she did the exact right propaganda. We predicted it. It was fairly predictable, but she did it right. The scene was good. They executed it well. And you got people looking around like, yeah, this is bad. Like, yeah, we want with Dothraki coming in. Like, oh, unsullied. Eunuchs. Ooh, gross. Like, that's just how Westerosi lords are. They're very xenophobic. They're very our people. They don't care about, you know, foreigners are foreigners. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Out of context, it makes sense when Dan when she says, you know, Danny killed all the lords, you know, in his cities, you know, it's uh you could see why they would feel threatened and certainly there's a level of propaganda going on here, but also uh, there's a certain level of genuine fear and concern about not only Cersei's personal life or dynasty, but also of the the realm of Westeros. So, like you can imagine like Danny's counselors are trying to tell her, no, don't go burn everything down. You know what I mean? Yeah. If her counselors are telling her that, it's not crazy for Cersei to think that might be a thing that happens. It's not, you know, it's not pure propaganda when she's saying, hey, we got to look out. She's going to come burn us all. We need to rally and fight against this. It's true. Even though back, even though she's telling Elena, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. No no one's going to believe that. Cersei's telling them she's going to come. And that's a believable thing. Like, oh, yeah, she's going to come burn us all. It's the Mad Queen's daughter. She burnt the slavers. She put the, the nobles up on posts. You know, like those happen. That thing, those, yeah. are, those things really happen. So, good selling job. Good piece of propaganda work by Cersei. And when they had, when they, then they bring up there, well, how are you going to beat the dragons? And Kyburn's like, I got a plan. I got a plan. And then we get this awesome scene. Shay's going to pull up a, uh, an image here. We've got some. We've got one of uh, first. We've got Balerion's skull. Which is just so cool. I love that skull. Yeah. It's like something out of a, the Natural History Museum of like a T-Rex or something like that. Not only is the skull itself awesome, but this shot that given us the perspective of Cersei next to it. The, so the lighting good. in her dress and the background. Just beautiful. Everything yeah. about it. Intim- intense, intimidating, and just wow. And I got to say, this is pretty straight foreshadowing here. I mean, it's not foreshadowing. It's just predicting or explaining what might happen. It, is it? Do you think there's any chance that this doesn't work? That we don't see a dragon killed by this? I think at least one dragon's dying yeah, at some point. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you there. I can imagine maybe one of these uh, super bows merely wounds one of the dragons. Yeah. But it's still... They said they're not invincible. Yeah, no. If they can bleed, they can die. You know, what? I think that's to remind us as viewers that 
Danny isn't, this, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't magic. <laughs> I guess it is magic, but it's not perfect magic, you know. Our co- a shout out to our co-writer, Joe Buckley of Tower of the Hand, who helped us out with this episode and will be doing so going forward. He mentions that this is a nice callback to earlier seasons. The skulls have been mentioned before. Ari is even down there in season one as yeah. well. She overhears Varus and Illyrio. Illyrio, yeah. And, uh, you know, for her, it's just a dude. It seemed like just some guy from Essos, but a foreign dignitary, as Littlefinger says. But maybe their plan is a little foiled here. A little bit. I'm not sure. I assume these, these weapons are mobile. But I think they're expecting Daenerys to attack King's Landing. We know she's not going to, at least not yet. So... It, they may not be used in the siege, but maybe Shay is going to pull up an image of the weapon as well here in a second. Maybe these things can be moved. Maybe they can be moved around. Maybe they I can be taken so. to the field of fire. I would, yeah. I would, I would hope for their sake they can. Be. Also, they not just maybe they could be moved, but maybe they just build a bunch of them. Yeah, like maybe well, one of these. He things? said that specifically. Kyburn said every yeah. blacksmith is working on these. Yeah, kind of like how Tyrion had everyone work on his chain. Kyburn has everyone working. Cersei on... Cersei had everyone working on wildfire. Yeah, yeah. I you can see how maybe one of these things it like shoots, but the dragon flies by and it misses. You know, or maybe yeah, it even yeah, hits, yeah, but yeah, it kind of yeah. goes yeah. to the wing and wounds it, but it still can fly and breathe fire. But imagine a battery of these. Imagine ten of these things watch out watch out seriously that is amazing and i really like the touch here kyburn just understands cersei's personality so well the touch of him saying you pull the trigger because she (laughs) is has a lust for power and just the feeling of launching that powerful bolt through a dragon skull had to be very pleasing to her and kyburn knew to give her that also think of the callback again to joffrey pulling that crossbow Ooh, i missed that good catch yes yes i love it that is that is a good catch so this was a fantastic scene it's both chilling and like you say it probably means the dragon's going down uh just a matter of when or where or i don't know uh question from b word on twitter which i really like here the question is can dragons zigzag (laughs) 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 great question that's my favorite question from (laughs) from twitter (laughs) even if they can they might not be able to avoid 10 of those things firing at them yeah by the way this is a this prediction is so specific it's probably a little far-fetched but it's still this image i have in my mind this thing i'm wondering about is that moment we see in a trailer when Jamie's charging forward. Yes. And what we expect to be this field of fire battle. And I was kind of wondering if if he's if this is like a suicidal charge because his army's been destroyed, that maybe even there's not even an army there to seize. You know, maybe dragons come to burn up the Lannister army. And they can't seize Castle Rock because they can't get the army there, but they can still defeat this thing and a stalemate's created or whatever. But Jamie still in this moment might just feel defeated. His army's defeated, his home is ruined, his everything in his life's falling apart, and there's Tyrion <laughs> riding a dragon. Yeah. And he's just charging in. Screw it. I'm going to just charge in. He's going to kill me anyway. And my thought was that Tyrion was just going to like fly off and not kill him. This is all assuming Tyrion even rides a dragon. But imagine if further than that... What if the dragon is grounded because it's been shot by these weapons? Ooh. And that makes the charge that Jamie's making a little more realistic it actually has and a not chance. purely suicidal. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool, cool idea. We have a question from, let's, let's move on to Jamie himself since we've kind of started talking about Jamie. Let's do that. Our friend KK, Ken, uh, asks, what do we feel is the plot trajectory for Jamie? It seems like he really has nowhere to go from here regardless if Cersei pulls off a miracle win or not. Other than death, where could this character possibly land? Also, is he still in the Kingsguard? He is not still in the Kingsguard. He was removed from the Kingsguard by Tommen last season and was appointed general of the Lannister armies in, instead. <laughs> so he, he was, it was sort of a lateral move. It was like a demotion and a promotion at the same time. Um, I'd say it's a promotion just in that he can now inherit. He can yeah. be the heir to Castle Rock. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 
I tell you, one way, one direction his character could go is he could kill Cersei. Sure. I, I think that's entirely possible. In the meantime, it seems pretty clear that he's going to be out there running the campaign. He's and, and, and in the shorter term, he does things like this, which was bring Sam, bring Randall Tarley over to the field. This is a great interaction. I really enjoyed this. It shows how well-rounded Jamie is, kind of like Tywin. He's not just a great military leader, but he also understands these politics. Yes, and in fact, there's some great nods in this conversation. I really like. I, I, I'm gushing about this conversation. First of all, great comment from our co-writer Joe Buckley again from Tower of the Hand. Dickon hit puberty hard. <laughs> okay, so funny story there. That is, he that actor was in the show Black Sails, and his character was named William, aka Billy Bones Manderly. He was a Manderly, and now he's a Tarly. So. Watch out, Randall. Your son isn't who he think you think he is. No. <laughs> Incidentally, Black Thrones. Uh, Black Thrones. Black Sails. <laughs> Black Sails. Great show. Yeah, Black Sails is awesome. Uh, we got a little Black Sails feels there from the final scene. Uh, the you're ships, on and all that. Yeah. We'll, we'll be getting there later. You guys covered What's that? And, you guys covered and we did cover Black Sails on our other show, Fandom Media. If you uh, ever check out the show Black Sails, check out us our coverage of Fandom on Fandom Media. We only covered the final season, but in any case. Fools we were. <laughs> we should have started sooner. No, but uh, J- Jamie... Okay, so first of all, Jamie tries to butter up Tarly by saying, oh, you're a great man. You're the only one who beat Robert Baratheon. And and, and Tarly just cuts him off. He's like, no, you're not going to butter me up. It's, just, it's not going to happen. It's not happening. I got a long ride, man. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. And so Jamie brings up... But then Jamie brings up things that do matter. Like, are you really going to side with the foreigners? Are you really going to side with the un, the unsullied, the eunuchs? And this was set up really well because in his brief scene with Sam at dinner, Randall Tarley got so grossed out and and aggressive about a wildling at his dinner table. So the, he's it's already set up that he hates foreigners and that he hates this like this is a good sell from Jamie. Mm-hmm. And Jamie even mentions conflicting oaths. He's like, he's like, I took a, I took an oath to Lady Tyrell or to the Tyrells. He's like, you took an oath to the crown. Who knows better about conflicting oaths than Jamie? <laughs> Having him deliver that line was awesome. I love that. And <laughs> then the coup de gras. He didn't, he wasn't able to butter him up, but the offer of Warden of the South was like a guy who's proud of his house, his family name, rising to that level. <laughs> Incidentally, this gives us an ex- explanation and out for why they didn't pursue Sam. We brought this up as a possibility. It seems to be confirmed now. They didn't go after Sam for the sword because when my, queen call, when my queen calls, I answer the call. So that took precedence. So shows you the kind of guy he is. Uh, he's a hard ass. He's a jerk. He's, you know, you wouldn't want to be friends with him. But he's more honorable than most in, in ways like that. Uh, he has a certain code of honor. Yeah. It's too bad you can't get all these stubborn codes of honor. Yeah. Combined with progressive thoughts, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think this all bodes really bad for Olena. I didn't touch on this before. I, I meant to, but it works well here as well, which is that Olena's la- words to Daenerys kind of felt like, especially since she says, I outlasted all these clever men, you know? And then she's like, yeah, that's why I'm still alive. And then she gives Daenerys this advice, be a dragon. It really feels like the last advice she's ever going to give. <laughs> To Daenerys, it's like a parting wisdom from the elder character, because and then we immediately get this reason as to why it could go south for her, which is that the Tarleys are going to usurp her position. So she's officially on my short list for people who are not long for this world. It's possible they don't kill her. Maybe she just loses her seat uh, and gets stranded. But we, it seems to be that she's already working her way overland back to the, to Highgarden, and it's going to be a problem. So. Uh, do you have any different takes on that? Are you worried about Olena too? I'm not. Well, I mean, I guess I'm worried about her. I, I, I'm, I'm not actively worried about her. 
You are, well, I'm not worried. Do you do you believe she's doomed? Or why, why not? Probably. But one so. is, and you know, maybe this is this reason could go either way. But she's such a cool character. You know what I mean? I think it'd be a shame to eliminate her. But I think also it would be that much more tragic tragic for her to be eliminated. I also feel like it's. it's I, I just don't see how she's gonna get into harm's way. She's already overland. She's already heading towards Tiger. Yeah. So that she's already in harm's way. She's already going back to a place that has that is about to be taken over by somebody else. I suppose so she I, I, also... I don't, yeah, so the danger is clear. Think back to when uh, they went to the... Uh, <laughs> Sean will never commit to anything. <laughs> comment from Snow and Winterfell. It's fair, it's fair. When they went to the Sept, <laughs> when uh, when Jamie went, and, you know, Mace marched his armies up. You remember yeah, this scene? Sure. And the Sparrow came out and he had, he had turned, you know, the, the Tyrells. But Olena was there. You remember, and it was like even a little concerned. She's just walking around the street when this battle's about to go down. So I, you know, I guess she will just put herself in harm's way, especially now. When she, she doesn't. I don't know if she's going to see this coming either. Like she's there's almost no. She she gives no indication that she's that she's worried about her her own followers and cetera about people who swore to her. Yeah. Maybe because Randall Tarley was like, yeah, I'm like I care. I mean, she knows Randall Tarley is that kind of guy that wouldn't backstab her. Apparently, he is though because of the circumstances. So that she might be leaning too heavily on that. Although Randall Tarley himself is not a quote clever man. He's not one of those types. He is a straightforward man. This is this is unexpected from him. But part of this is it. There's so many, such a myriad of potential ways things could go here. We talked about it a little before. We'll probably talk about it more. What's going to happen with Euron's gifts? Okay, How, who might be killed or kept as prisoner, and what the effects of that might be. Elena might get captured but not killed. She might be more valuable as a prisoner. Does that make sense? I don't know why, though. Why would she... Be, see, like, there's an argument for certain people kept as a prisoner. There's no value to Elena kept as a prisoner. She doesn't have... There's nothing to hold hostage over. There's no, she has no value as a hostage. She's got no family. It's it's not, <laughs> not, not so much as a threat, but as an honor. Does that make sense? The, the, other, the other families are more likely to follow Randall if he keeps her as a prisoner, as a ward, you know what I mean? Rather than executing her publicly. It's not like... You see what I'm saying? There's a difference between a shifting of powers... And uh, an execution of a traitor, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't think she's done something to deserve execution. I don't. I, 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 I kind of see your point, but I think I still disagree because they have to. If they're if they're wishy washy about their response, which meaning if they leave her alive, then their their argument that she's a traitor falls apart. They it's then they still... can't they can't have it both ways. They can't like keep her alive, and you know argue that she's a traitor to the queen. Okay, so let's uh, let's go to the Citadel then. Let's go on there. Let's. I don't understand how they keep doing this. Like the Citadel's the place <laughs> with all the books, and it keeps being the most terrifying place in all of Westeros. Yeah, it's... this is built up for me to be this beautiful city. <laughs> this you know this place of awe and grandeur and joy and <laughs> and it's disgusting. It's gross. <laughs> Man, it's like Camelot. It is a silly place. It's a it is a disgusting place. <laughs> So, uh, I'm curious about a few things here. I wonder if, now that Sam has done this, is he going to bring it up to Gil? He's like, hey, you know, I just cut Grayscale off of, uh, you know, Lord Commander Mormont's son. She's like, you did what? I hate you. Touched Grayscale? Get the hell away from me. Because she, we already know she freaked out about Grayscale. Probably for good reason. Someone posted a meme. It was an image of, uh, of Gilly with the, their child saying to Sam, how was your day at work? <laughs> Cut to Sam, just like this awkward stone like, face. Should I tell her stone face? Yeah. Oh, God, no. That's, that's We don't want that to happen. <laughs> By the way, do you think there's any chance? Well, I guess you did already express the possibility that he's yeah. going to crack Grayskull. I really, really don't think so. I mean, you sh- 
if we're being realistic, there should absolutely be a chance. I'm purely from a story perspective, I think there's almost no chance. A, because I think Sam is going to be a survivor or that he's going to last the whole series, which is something I could easily be wrong about, but I really don't think so. Uh, but based on that, I think there's no chance against Grayscale. I don't think it's likely, but I can see it happening. I think it would be interesting, even if he doesn't get it, for there to be a breakout in general. Yeah. It would also add extra conflict if he got it and or a, con- or a breakout happened. He would be blamed for it. He was told, don't do this. You yes. took the keys. You took the books. You did this procedure. What's going on? And in fact, it's even another thought that I had kind of as a joke last episode. And I was like, man, what, what kind of path is Sam on here? First, he steals a sword, then keys, then it books. Now he's performing this forbidden ritual. Is he on Kyburn's path? He's you know, very Kyburn, like without the, without the evil, you know, yeah, <laughs> without the I cruelty. Predicted, <laughs> I predicted that... Uh, that Yorn and Kyburn would get along. Now I'm predicting that Sam and Kyburn are going to get along. <laughs> and even if he's not evil, at least not right now, the path to evil is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Sam might just accidentally do mm. something. And think of how this would go if he got kicked out of there, right? Or, or even got this disease himself. Uh, I, I think lots of potential conflicts could grow from this. Maybe it just won't be a thing, especially with concerns of how much they can fit in these episodes and it's already kind of rushed. But it's a thing that I always kind of blew off in the past when it's brought up as a possibility. And now I'm starting to think that is what's going to happen. So. Yep, yep. So if you have any other, if you have any questions about the Citadel, make sure to use Super Chat. You can name a donation of your choice and it makes sure your comment sticks at the top so we see it and your question gets high priority. I'm wondering about this whole connection between Jorah, Sam, Gior, how much is that going to come up? Or if it's going to just be a vehicle for connecting John to Danny. Because we have one of Sam's, one of John's most trusted people, he even says, the person I trust most in the world, one of the people I trust most in the world, with Jorah, who has proven his loyalty to Daenerys over and over, despite his in- initial betrayals. He's clearly come fully around. I don't think anyone has any doubts of his loyalty at this point. He's writing a letter to her, uh, which we couldn't get a clear image of. We tried to take a screenshot of it, but it's just not visible. It looked like a list, you know, groceries, <laughs> eggs and bread and stuff it's, like that. It starts off with Khaleesi and it says, I'm writing you from the Citadel. And it looks like a death note. Like he's he's writing this like, I, I couldn't find a cure. And then Sam comes in to start working on the cure. So I get the, I'm guessing that letter doesn't even get sent. Let me tell you something I put together that I, I've become more and more confident about. I think he was going to kill himself. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, the I sword, did. he kept looking at the sword. Exactly. Like, he didn't yeah. register mm-hmm. at first when, he was, when, when the maester told him but I'm going to give you another day. Yeah. I think he's given another day to give him a chance to kill himself. And to write and, that letter. <laughs> right, yeah, and write, yeah. And also, the way he's looking at the sword, at first I thought he was going to like, screw that, man. I'm going to fight my way out of here. I'm not going to let you ship me off. <laughs> but then I started to realize, wait a minute, this is a suicide note to Danny. He's looking yeah. at that sword because he's thinking about killing himself. That's the reason the maester gave him a day. And it started to become, I don't know, a little more of a t- tragic moment than I was realizing when I first watched it. Little uh, little nod to Maester Cresson, who was the one who tried to poison Mel and died in the process. He's the one who cured Shireen of her grayscale. Little little uh, Easter egg there, sort of. And we, what's that? Jorah's sword's not Valyrian steel, is it? The, well, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a Valyrian steel sword. It's it's his sword. He left the Mormont sword when he went into exile. He didn't take it with him. And that's Longclaw. That's the one that John has. Okay. So he but doesn't. But, his reg- but the one he's carrying right now is not okay. just a regular. But sword. he could end up with. He could somehow get back sword. to. In fact, we have a question for that regarding that. In just a minute. We'll get to it shortly. Um, before that, we have 
this scene in the library where they're t- discussing like some in-world history, which I thought was really cool. I love that touch of dude has Ab- Ma- Maester Abros has this really boring title for the wars that follow Robert's death. Like <laughs> I yelled at the screen, "War of Five Kings!" You know, I think that's what the name is. A lot of other people think it's going to be a Song of Ice and Fire, which is, but I don't think so. I, I like that suggestion first, but when I watch the episode again, I think I'm like, no, I don't think so. This is a description of the wars following. A Song of Ice and Fire is the story. This is the story of the characters. The wars are just a part of that. So I really think he's talking about because he specifically says the war is following Robert's death. So I think that's the War of Five Kings. I think that's the descriptive title they're referring to. And we even get another in-world mention of history. Hot Pie are already calling it the Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. which I love that that touch. I feel like a Song of Ice and Fire goes way beyond before Robert. Yeah, he was born. You know, right. I think yeah. that's a much bigger name. Than yeah, I think that's a larger topic. But a lot of people predict that the series will end with Sam sitting down to write the history of all of this, just like uh, yeah. And Bilbo Baggins. Yes, a lot like that. In fact, it would be a huge nod to that as someone, George, is a huge fan of Tolkien and he lists him amongst his top influences, the top influences, period, of, of all of fantasy, which is rightfully so. Okay, so I think that maybe covers this for now. We have some questions, though, that we'll touch on to a lot of other aspects of this. Hema Hellmanth, Captain of the Whispering Children, question for episode two here. Will we get a game of musical swords being played all season long here? Will Longclaw be given to Jorah after being cured? Who ends up wielding Heartsbane? Does Brienne return Oathkeeper to the Starks, ostensibly Jon Snow, which would then free up Longclaw for Jorah? So that's pretty cool. There's a lot of possibilities there. I certainly already brought up the possibility of Heartsbane being wielded by Jorah since the Sam has that sword and, you know, Jorah, if he saves Jorah and brings him, you know, back, uh, then might not hook him up with a sword, too. <laughs> and I could also see this suggestion of Brienne giving Oathkeeper back and John using it and then giving Longclaw to Jorah, I guess, or somebody. I don't know. I could see something like that happening. I'm kind of, it's kind of too hard to predict, but do you have any takes on this? It is neat to think about what the super team would be. Like <laughs> super the, sword what, team, <laughs> yeah. What, what swords with what characters? You know, if you can get the Hound and Brienne and John and I, I don't know how many more swords there are to go around, but if you can get them together, each with Valyrian swords, standing face to face with the uh, the Night King and his henchmen, that'd be a great image. That'd that be would a great be fight. That would be yeah. To make up for the fact that we didn't get any uh, Stormborn, you know, themes of of White Walkers, yeah. <laughs> Question here. Also, um, would, I would love to hear Aziz theorize what big reveal we may learn in the Lannister book Sam is given. Okay, that's a cool question. That is a, that's a very meta question. That's one of the books that Sam has, you know, the Archmaster Abrams is handing him all these books. One of them is History of House Lannister. And you wonder, maybe there's uh, someone's looking that up to maybe research who would be the head of House Lannister now. Like, who is in charge because Cersei is, you know, uh, maybe because she's a traitor or because she's, you know, not eligible or something like that. Or maybe something to do with their genetics. I don't know. I, I don't have a guess that I feel like, oh, it's got to be this. Uh, so I'm not really sure. But I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind and, and keep an eye out for more clues. Maybe we'll have a second take on that in the Book to Show episode. Maybe they'll find that in the past there have been other midget Lannisters they had Targaryen blood. <laughs> <laughs> Here are several dragonglass slash obsidian related questions. From Rob Storm, if Sam saves Jorah via dragonglass to the heart, seemed like that was where Sam was cutting away the grayscale, will the result be very similar to Benjen? If so, do you have an idea of Jorah's path slash ability to pass the wall and other magic? Well, Sam wasn't just cutting away the grayscale around his heart. He said out loud, I have to cut away all of it. He just started there. So I don't think that particular thing is 
terribly relevant, but I don't know yet because it doesn't seem like Sam used any dragon glass yet. Maybe the ointment he said he was going to use had dragon glass in it or something, but he didn't bring it up at all during the procedure. He didn't mention it to yeah. Jorah. So I'm a little I'm I'm a little unsure what they mean by that. Why they're holding that back? Maybe he has yet to try this aspect. But you got to figure he's going straight from Pylos's book, which is by the way a book nod, Archmaster Pylos. But you'd think he would be following the instructions. And if you know those book shots we took, you know we took screen captures of book clearly mention obsidian as a thing. So he's probably aware of that. I, I'm guessing it's part of the ingredients. He just didn't mention it. I'm assuming it's a multi-step process, among other things. If it was just as easy as oh, peel all the skin off, well then there wouldn't be this dilemma of how can we possibly cure this. It's got to be more complicated than that. So yeah, we probably yeah, didn't yeah. see the entirety of the process, and it also might not get done in one night. It might be like a treatment or a regime he's got to, yeah. a regimen he's got to go through over the next few days or weeks or whatever. So we could easily still see more of this. Nestor Jimenez asks, what's Obsidian's role in treating Grayscale? Well, it seems to be, you know, just a chemical process. Some sort of, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, but whatever causes that infection to spread, the bacteria, whatever it is. Sam's not know. a doctor either. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> true is that is uh, somehow it interferes with its ability to propagate, stops the spread. Maybe it even kills it. Standard, you know, maybe think of it as some kind of antiseptic or an antibacterial, but you know, magical <laughs> <laughs> or at least anti-magical. Instead of antimicrobial, it's anti-magical because grayscale seems to be a magical disease. It might seem magical to them. They they don't necessarily understand the chemistry of yeah. microbes and how antibiotics work and everything, but they know you mix this up and it makes this disease go away. Okay, do it. Magic, chemical, medicinal, whatever. Right. Um, and this follow-up question even touches on that as well from Cheryl. Q&A was... Shireen cured from her grayscale, or was it dormant because she was surrounded by dragon glass on Dragonstone? I really like the idea that being in that climate, being around, like there should be particulates all over the place in the water, in the air. I mean, you could see that it would be. There, there. It shouldn't. I shouldn't say there should be, but you could see why there would be. Like you'd see why it would make sense. Yeah. So I, I love that. It's a very natural explanation for for why it subsided. They did also offer an explanation too of the rates are different for children versus full grown, yes. or how far it's progressed on drawer versus how far it was on Shireen when they caught it. So I like that they kind of addressed that in advance. It was a, not something that they just kind of dropped on us. Let's go to Arya. Very, very happy to see Arya there with Hot Pie. That was so cool. Love to see Hot Pie. And I think that uh, it made it was some, some fan service, but it was cool. You know, it wasn't the kind of like obligatory, obvious, like ham-fisted. It was natural. You know, that's the inn where he was left. And that, that's a famous inn at a very key geographical location. And... Having her go through there makes a lot of sense. My, when I first saw the scene, I had it a lot darker image of it. And when I first heard their parting line, I heard it wrong. And it really threw me off. She says, take care of yourself, Hot Pie. And he's like, I'm a survivor, like you. I thought he said, I'm a survivor, you know, I, I, I heard it completely wrong. I thought, I'm a survivor, not like you, who goes out and does all this other stuff. But I just, I just misremembered it. So I thought that that it was really ominous that the way he said it that one of them was going to die. But now on second viewing, I think I got that wrong. So maybe anyone else may have got that impression Then hopefully I'm helping you out with that by saying it's not as ominous as I thought. Did you have a take on that? Uh, it didn't It didn't strike me yeah, in the you first Yeah, you didn't hear yeah. it wrong like I did. Yeah. Priscilla uh, N. asked, did I cry as he, uh, at that reunion? I, 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 didn't, I didn't cry, but I got the feels. You know, <laughs> the music was really strong. It was on point. 
Um, and I wanted to see this scene. I wanted them to reunite, and I didn't. I wasn't sure it would happen. I thought it was a good chance, but there's always a chance it wouldn't. There's always a chance they just wouldn't bother. They didn't have time for it. They just go straight to Nymeria, but they didn't. So I'm glad they did it. It was worthwhile. It was good, and it had more than just that. Their meeting. It was him passing on news, which was huge. Her facial reaction to finding out that her that no, Jon Snow came down and took and won the Battle of the Bastards and took Winterfell. She's like. You're lying. She couldn't even believe it. She was just mm-hmm. like, no, there's no good news anymore. <laughs> He's like, why would I lie about that? Yeah. yeah, and it was it was great. Like, yeah, why would he lie about that? <laughs> I'll point out, by the way, my, my eyes didn't water for that scene, but my mouth did. <laughs> you wanted some of that pie, <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> that brown butter. Mm. And uh, 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 Joe Buckley points out her downing a mug of ale like, strikes similar to the hound downing one in the chicken scene from season four. Yes, very true, very true. She's uh, very, eats kind of like the hound there, just kind of reaching over the table. He's like, who's this for? She steal, grabs it she like it's grabs it immediately. <laughs> but then we get the real tearjerker. I think the following scene with her is even more emotional when she runs into Nymeria. First of all, it's like, wow, because holy crap, Nymeria was huge. Yeah. Wow, that's intimidating. And we do have a shot of Nymeria here coming up, thanks to Ashea. And man, but she, they really did a good job of capturing the old wolf's look, of Nymeria's look. I, I've seen season one again recently, and that really looks like, if not the same wolf, kind of use, using graphics to make her look larger, they just made it look really similar. Uh, so good job with the visuals there. <clears throat> it does help that Arya is physically smaller. You know, seeing Ghost next to John, John's just taller. And they also do have the wolf up on that little little mound. Yeah. Puts him up even higher. <laughs> yeah, it's true. She, it almost looked like she was kneeling to the wolf yeah, queen yeah. there. When she, she lays her, her sword down. down. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, kneel to the wolf queen. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, <clears throat> even more feels, and it was kind of, Built up by the feels of the previous scene. You're like, oh, I, I was just recovering from those previous feels. Now there's more feels. There seemed to be a little confusion among some people about her comment there when she said, that's not you. Some people thought, oh, it's not really That Nymeria. was our first super chat yeah. question, in fact. It's definitely Nymeria. I think that, or I'm confident that the, it's a callback to... Season one. When she's talking to, to Ned and he's, you know... He's like, you'll grow up and marry uh, a, a prince yeah, or lord. Yeah, you'll be a wife and you'll knit and, and you know, that's not that's not her, you know. And she says, that's and, not me. Yeah. And that's I, Sansa. Yeah. Right. And this is... She's realizing she's, like, specifically the thing she said right before that is, you know, come with me, you know. And I think she's realizing, one, at this moment, she's a lone wolf. Nymeria's got a whole pack with her. She's, she's got a pack. She's yeah. got a home. She's established she's not herself. Gonna leave all that to run off. Additionally, it's cold up there. <laughs> yeah, Arya seems to be heading home, but for for a long time now, she's been on this mission of revenge. Yeah, she's not really even been thinking too much about her family. I mean, the revenge is maybe on behalf of her family, but she's not thinking. I got to get back to Sansa. She's thinking I got to kill Cersei. You know, mm-hmm. and here's Nymeria. Nymeria's not thinking about revenge. Another thought I had here is a little scared because remember how they left off. The last time they saw each other, Arya was throwing rocks at Nymeria. To drive her away, yeah. yeah. And even if on some level Nymeria understood what was happening, it's still tough to yep. see the person whose last interaction was one of violence. Yeah. So it was a, a very tense, sad, stressful, tough moment. But also makes sense in a lot of ways, both where the paths that they're on and it's maybe a little too easy and a little too happy to expect Nymeria to just show up and just tag along from now on. Also, for budget reasons, you can see why it might not happen. Absolutely. All that said, I have no doubt that Nymeria is going to appear again. I'm just confident there's just going to be this battle that seems to be 
in dire straits. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> nah. Nymeria is going to show up and save the day with her pack of wolves at the last minute. Yeah, we have a question from Lord Denier, uh, Lord Commander Denier Flint that says, "What will Nymeria's role be going forward?" And I agree, if she has a role, I'm I'm not quite as confident as you that she'll be back, but I'm pretty darn confident. And I think it'll be exactly that: she saves, or she comes in and, and saves the day. Um, maybe like the Veil Knights riding in at the last minute. It'll be the Wolf yeah. Pack riding in at the last minute. Interestingly, too, and I think it's funny about this about this scene. One of the things that gave the scene away in advance was there were trailer shots, not of the wolf, although that did happen eventually, but earlier on there were trailer shots of Arya looking around like she's in the wilderness, she's looking around like she's concerned. Human beings do not frighten Arya anymore. She was about to just kill all those Lannisters by herself with no fear whatsoever. People do not scare her. So that's why I was like, yeah, I knew, like, we didn't talk about it a whole lot, but it was like, yeah, Arya's meeting Nymeria, 100% sure, because nothing else scares her. What else is going to put fear into her? Not people. (laughs) Well, there might be one person. Melisandre might scare her. Melisandre would make her... I mean, I don't think that would scare her. I think she would want to kill her. I'd be like, that's... She was on my list. She'll upset her, we'll say. Yeah. yeah. Q&A, uh, another question from Basilisk Jack Liston. <clears throat> Does Arya's plea to Nymeria to come home and then saying, that's not you, when the wolf is, walks away, signal that Arya herself is not going north? As in, being a sucker of Winterfell is not who she is anymore. She's an assassin and she should be going to King's Landing to finish the job. I don't think so. I think that's a cool take. But no, I do think she's going to continue north. And I think... That the wolf pack thing was just a reminder that she's on the right trail. You know, once she got the news about her family, she changed her mind about going to go after Cersei. Cersei can wait. She wants to meet her family. That's something that she thought, that, that was lost. Although it's interesting to see that even now, even when she was uh, going after the phrase, it was about revenge. It wasn't about justice. Even when she and when she was getting Jockin to kill for her, it wasn't to help her family. It was about her. So this is all a part of her arc is learning to use her powers for her family. Whereas before she was doing it about revenge. So I think that's a big change for her. Yeah, I think that these past couple episodes have combined to shift where she's going. When she encounters those Lannisters, she starts to reevaluate what she's doing, why. And then when she finds out that John's in the North, those two things combine. The person that matters to her most, the family, yeah. I think without without either one of those occurrences, she's still on this mission of revenge. But those two occurrences, maybe with only one or the other of those occurrences, because it was still a decision for her when she leaves the inn after talking to Hot Pie. She still kind of like looks north, looks south, looks north, and decides to go north. It wasn't this auto-instant easy decision she made. She That's was true. still considering it, you know. Question from Tyler McDomnell. Uh, Domhnall, sorry if I say your name wrong. Uh, with the Remiria emergence of Nymeria, we have to ask, where is Ghost? Has he gone the way of being cut to minimal appearances because of huge amount of CGI? We are expecting to see this season. I feel like the downplaying of Stark connections with their direwolves is a big letdown for the show. We all want to see Nymeria or Ghost tear some whites slash Lannisters to pieces, don't we? Well, I do think that we have some of that opportunity with Nymeria, but yeah, the thing with Ghost is completely different. I, it's It's partly about budget, but mostly it's about the wolf. First of all, there's some confusion. George R. R. Martin announced that a wolf named Ghost died. And all these media outlets grabbed that and said, oh, the actor wolf died. They were wrong. That's a different wolf. George was referring to a wolf at a wolf sanctuary that he named before the show even existed. So that's where the confusion comes from. The actor wolf is, the problem there is that wolf lives in one country and these scenes are filmed in another. Now you can say, oh, they've got enough money to move that wolf around. Even though there's issues with moving a, a wolf from one country to another, 
Second of all, it's really hard on the animal. It's not just the money. That's just a really traumatic experience for an animal, a wild animal, to be caged and shipped from one country to another. On a plane. Some some people don't like to fly. Most people don't like to be caged. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, and apparently Brian Cogman has tweeted about this to to add some insight as well. So this question's come up a bit. But I do think that, to to answer the last part of the question, we want to see this, and it's hard, and we, we haven't seen enough of it in the show. Number one, I kind of understand it. It's the the wolf connections are very internal. It's hard to do that without writing. It's a really hard part of the story to tell. But okay, so the Brian Coughlin Queen, we got some clarification here. There was a John Ghost scene film, but it got cut. So that just proves uh. that the budget wasn't an issue, right? That proves that it. But it's too bad. I'm, but here's the thing: all those cut scenes end up being seen. We end up getting to see them eventually. Like they'll it'll be on the DVDs or the Blu-rays or whatever or we'll, behind the scenes. It'll come out. Uh, so we'll still get that. It just won't be part of, you know, part of the main storyline. I do think we'll see Nymeria tear some whites. Let's just ask pieces. D&D to hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> Observation from Jace Diwa. It seemed to me that Nymeria has formed her wolf pack with wolves that looked similar to her original pack. There was a black one that looked like Shaggy Dog, a silver one that looked like Summer, a white oh. ghost-looking one. Yeah, I noticed that too. There was a pure white one. There was a pure black one. And I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I, I noticed the same thing. I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't know this, but thinking about it now, that is pretty interesting. I only noticed it the second time through because I, I was like looking at all these ones like that. There was a They just showed each one like growling at her and was like, that one's kind of shaggy dog-like and that one's kind of, yeah. And then there was a pure white one in the back. Yeah. This is probably a stretch, but the fact that they bothered to do that makes me wonder if they'll be repaired. Uh, were they just regular wolves or were they other dire wolves that were found? Um, yeah. Good question. Good question. So let's go to the big Euron sneak attack that was not a sneak attack. It was bo- It was very much of a surprise to the characters, not much of a surprise to us, but it was intense and awesome. I really liked it. Um, of course, like any battle, there's always some logistical issues and some questions of how this could have happened. But, you know, given the standard that the show is set, uh, this was a quality battle, quality scene. What do you think? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I have a lot of... I have a lot of thoughts on this segment here. This is our last segment, so I hope that this if we have uh, enough time to still get through all this. Oh, we'll get through it. Oh. <laughs> we'll go long if we need to. <clears throat> yeah, they don't mind. Y'all don't mind if we go a little long, right? Right. Yeah, see, they're all saying yes. Yeah. <laughs> 600 people are saying yes. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of thumbs up. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, we have this image that Deshae is either pulling up or has already pulled up. Our own view is a little slightly on delay here. Silence just coming out of the may, coming out of the storm like that it was just <laughs> whoa. That was awesome. Great visual. The ram cutting into the base of the ship, which is fairly realistic to have the ram really low in the water like that, so it cuts into the hull. You can see why that would be really effective in in a real life, you know, as a real life ram. And that was a pretty standard tactic before cannons. Ships yes. just ram each other. Yeah, yeah. That, you're absolutely right. A- ancient ship warfare was a lot about ramming and trying to broadside the other and then boarding, which we saw. Not even ancient. I mean, depending on how you define ancient, but yeah. in, into the 1500s, 1600s. Yeah, you're right. Up until they all had guns everywhere. <laughs> even then, there was still a lot of boarding, then, but yeah. there was less ramming. <laughs> yeah, so it was a really intense scene. We have Euron doing a uh, come-at-me-bro kind of thing, which... You know, we'll talk more about in the book to show because it really kind of parallels some things going on there. He has his big full armor, which shows his kind of like badass because he's not afraid of sinking. Miss Theon jumps off at the end. Euron could not have done that. He was wearing a breastplate. So it kind of shows the difference in their styles. Like Euron's just uh, whatever happens, happens. And Theon's more of a standard. No, I'm not wearing heavy armor. It's... He even threw his sword down before he jumps in the water yeah. with 20 extra pounds of metal. I think uh, we, I've given Euron's weapon a name. It's the Kraxen, which, of course, is, you know, my my kind of pun. And Hopefully that catches on. Yeah. 
Someone needs to hashtag that or something. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Buckley wonders about the fire weapons that they had. I think this is just something they added. We talked about how Euron needs to be formidable to, to be a good counter to Danny, And things like Kyburn being powerful and Cersei being more, more powerful and smart than she is in the books. This is all in line with that. They made Euron and his technology, his ships, are just better than they probably were in the books. Um, without getting into any specific details, it really seems to fit like that. So, yeah, it seems like a technology that we weren't really aware of, but, hey, it does, it's, you know, fireball shooting. It's not some advanced technology. It's just kind of something we weren't aware of, but it seems to work. Euron might have learned something in his travels across the 14 seas. Very true. Good call. Very good call. Um, it's, it's good that he wasn't using wildfire there. He would have screwed himself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he knows better than that, apparently. So, there, Ashea has a good shot of the cracks in there. That's pretty cool. In a minute, we're going to pull up another image but first, let's describe what's happening here. Okay, of course, now the sand, two of the Sand Snakes are killed by Euron. His, they are both killed with their own weapon, which was kind of interesting. One person, I saw some person bring up, actually, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, he gets maybe a few wounds from them, and, you know, that might matter later, but he was very heavily armored. So I can kind of understand how those wounds maybe didn't, weren't so great. You know, it's hard, they weren't in vital areas or anything like that. They and, didn't get as deep as they would have without the armor. Yeah, and you know, uh, so that that, I can, that works for me. And but it's really pretty pretty nasty, right? Like it was a brutal, intense fight, and they were totally caught off guard. You know, you've got this this kind of in retrospect tragic scene where Ilari is like, "Oh, he's your protector, huh?" He's like, "Yeah, if anyone you know gets too close, I gotta you know he's gonna intervene." Like, well, don't guess not. So I want to point out this character that we see. In the midst of this battle, yeah, who is at first chopping people down, you know, fighting with the sword, yeah, I don't know how to say it's like being brave, doing his duty, whatever, right? And he's suddenly confronted and surrounded with all this violence and fire, and his his friends being chopped down and put in severe danger, and suddenly, you know, loses it, runs off. Now, I'm talking about Sandor, by the way, <laughs> at the Battle of Blackwater. Nice, nice right? parallel, yes. So, it's, because uh, of a tra- specific thing that's traumatizing to him. Yeah. And what was traumatizing Theon in that scene? It's like everything going well, on. Well, no, but one this, thing in like, particular, though, that, that the final straw. Oh, we saw, like, just people being mutilated, yes. just like he had people been People cutting, yeah. cutting body parts off. Some people told me, including one of our friends, that that was tongues being cut out. I was very careful when I looked back. I did not see a tongue get cut out. I saw... A tooth get cut out. I saw an ear get cut off. I did not see any tongues cut off. Yeah. However, and the idea is why would tongues be cut out? Because that's what Euron does. Cuts tongues out. The silence. It's a ship. However, there was a hint there when Ilaria's like, finish this off. Just get it over with. Well, first of all, Ilaria, good luck with that. No, you're, <laughs> you're in for it. But we'll get to that in a minute. But that guy just kind of shook his head. He was like, no. He, nodded. Like, he didn't he say didn't no. He didn't say anything. Yeah. He just shook his head. So maybe he doesn't have a tongue. And that could just be they didn't want to give that actor a line because then they have to pay him more. But, you know, it works both ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So Theon looking like Reek, his facial, he, he, when he sees the mutilations, his face changes to Reek and he, and he jumps. And it's reminiscent of him jumping off the castle wall. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, really cool, similar, really yeah. cool. I think there was a lot going on there that it, it, at first, especially in the context of him just saying he's her protector, you know, you're like, oh, what, how can he do this? You know, that I, I understand that that reaction to this scene. But if you think about it, first, what's he, what's he going to do there? He's literally crippled. He's like missing digits. How good of a fighter can, like, let's just say that Theon was 
a good fighter and it wasn't crippled. He's still not as good as Euron. They're clearly making Euron out to be this super badass, right? Yeah. No but even, hope. Yeah. But <laughs> even if he was on par with Euron, Euron's got her by the neck, literally. What's he going to do? Charge forward and somehow kill him and save her and himself? Yeah. But add to all that, he has been traumatized worse than any of us. There's a few times we've talked about the idea of it's hard for us to maybe relate to someone having someone near us die or having gone through death like John, but maybe even someone out there had a heart attack and was brought back. And da, da, da. None of us, no one watching this podcast has <laughs> gone through what Theon has gone through, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a safe bet, yeah. And the idea that he might lose it in the middle of this battle is completely reasonable to me. I don't think he was a coward in any way. Now, again, I do see how it could be seen as a coward, but I just don't think it's a fair way to boil down who he is and what's going on here. I agree. But again, even if he was a coward, even if he hadn't been through all this drama in his life that would, aside from being a coward, make it reasonable for him to want to get the heck out of there... By the way, I wonder how many people who want to judge Theon for being a coward also judge Sandor for being a coward. I bet very few, right? But also, he just couldn't beat him anyway. He just can't win this fight anyway. He's also anyway. hopeless. He's right. like, Sandor can't so beat fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, at least this way, he gets to pass on the message. He gets to live the fight another day. He, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if ends up being the one that kills Euron down the road somewhere. He yep. Maybe he's the one that doesn't. Um, also, it's possible he saved Yara by doing this. If he charges forward... Euron just slices her throat and starts hacking at Theon and almost certainly kills him. But this way, maybe he keeps Yara alive as a prisoner. You know? Yeah. So Shay had up earlier the the image of the prow of the ships, or the ship Silence, which there's two sand snakes on the prow, both killed by their own weapons. You have one hanging by a whip, one impaled by her own spear. So that's pretty brutal. Um, now, the one thing about the scene that's a little too bad is because they butchered the Dorne plot pretty badly, it's hard for us to care about those characters. Like, the sweet, if we liked the Sand Snakes more, this would have hit hard. But because we care about Theon and his acting was so good, that, you know, took, that took the place of that. That's where our emotions come from. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and the, and Euron being terrifying and Euron being kind of showing us this guy is a serious badass. He's way more capable than Ramsay or Joffrey or, I think people were really happy about it. I think it evoked a great deal of positive, <laughs> positive energy. energy. Good yeah, point. Yeah. Shaz says a lot of people are happy to see the Sand Snakes gone. True that. I think that's true. I think a lot of people were like, yeah, this is a good way to just like, look, they screwed it up, so just get rid of them. That's the, you know, we can't fix it. Just just get rid of them. Be done with it. Now, the military side of this is interesting too, right? The whole point is they were going south to grab the Dornish army to bring them up to besiege King's Landing. So we got we got to keep that in mind as we talk about the rest of this. Here's a question from Alejandro. Why did Euron leave both Alaria and Tyene alive? He doesn't say this, but also he left Yara alive. What use does he have for both of them? Does this mean we get a reunion between Tyene and Bronn? Which is another question I had as well from, from my end. I bet Bronn will be with Jamie this next episode because battles. Okay, let's unpack all that. First of all, I think definitely there's a, there's a, Ilaria and Tyene are the gift. That's, that's for, for Cersei. And that's a wonderful gift for Cersei because they killed Marcella. And I think we might get, here's two possibilities for what Cersei will do. Two main possibilities for, obviously there's, you can imagine other possibilities, but I think there's two main possibilities. One is kill them both. And the sub possibilities there is just, the, the, the sub possibilities there are how horribly does she kill them both. But yeah. I think more likely, she kills Ilaria, or sorry, she kills Tyene, makes Ilaria watch, sees your own, her own daughter suffer. And I think it might go down a little bit like Lord Ricard and Brandon 
right? Like er, what the Mad King did to Ned Stark's uh, brother and father, making one watch the other die while the other strangled. Uh, so, uh, except I think that Ilaria won't be killed because I think at first I thought, oh, she's dope, toast. But then I was like, no. Think of the middle, military angle. If Ilaria is a hostage, then the Dornish army is off the table. At least they can explain it that way. And that there's a lot of like logistical problems there, maybe, but I think they're all handled. And the bottom line is it gets Dorn out of the story, which they already screwed up. So they're like, look, let's just get this. Let's just shove this off to the side. And this is a very rational, reasonable way to do that. Say, Ilari was elected by a claim. She killed off the Martell leader and the country rallied behind her because they were of the same attitude. So it does make sense that they would care about keeping her alive. I agree. It makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels. It from like a filmmaking perspective and a budget perspective, bringing this Dornish army in means they have to have this whole new set of costumes and weapons and designs, uh, characters to lead, you know, to the, the armies or whatever. It's I just, from a budgetary concern and a, and a time constraint, huge amounts of saving by not presenting this whole new army to the mix. And also it adds to the struggle that Danny has. It's harder for her to just waltz through when a significant portion of her army gets removed from the plans yeah that makes sense and also i think that if you're looking for a, a guideline as to how horrible the treatment will be for these two just think of septa unella septa supreme as we called her and uh that she was given to the mountain now think of Rhaegar's wife and kids <laughs> yeah the mountain did, did mountain's for, still the mountain there did for all of them yeah, yeah that's true it's all now consider braun and all this is kind of interesting it's kind of easy to miss that braun had this little kind of thing with tyene briefly and jamie kind of promised him a better you know new girl but nah i don't think i don't think it'll be this i don't think she's like nah you're not gonna she's toast i think i see a few people okay let me clear up a little confusion here a couple people are pointing out the difference in book to show here this isn't a spoiler in the book's Ilaria is the daughter, is the mother of the younger Sand Snakes only. None of these three. In the show, she's the mother of all three of them. So it's that's an easy mistake to make because it's a, it's easy to get that, you know, that canon. The canon's crossed over. But all three of those are Ilaria's daughters in the show. But none of them are her daughters in the books. But she does have four daughters in the books, or maybe five. I think it's four. In any case, yeah, it's four. And uh, all of them are Oberyns, of course. Okay, so... As far as Braun, though, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think that maybe he's going to have to witness this. Maybe Jamie's going to have to witness this. And if Jamie has to witness Ilaria and Tyene getting the, the the treatment that he witnessed, remember the scene where he's Ned's like, "You did nothing." He's like, "Yeah, f- a room full of five hundred people did nothing." The whole yeah, as he says, the detail. I wasn't sure about that, but people are pointing out she's not the mother of one of them. Oh, Ilaria isn't Obara's mother in yeah, the show either. They oh, okay. teased a little bit about Mama this. Oh, only Tyene. Okay. Tyene. My bad. I got yeah, that wrong. Tyene was kept alive. My bad. That's wrong. So that totally makes sense. That that makes even more sense that Tyene was the one of the three. The other two were killed. Okay. I got that wrong, but it makes everybody sense fixed why they were, uh, they were making fun of her mommy this, mommy that. Because it's not her mother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That does make that make That fits a lot better. Okay, I hadn't cool. pieced that together when the episode was going on at first either. Maybe. I know that if I ever make a mistake, y'all <laughs> just quickly point it out. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I'm glad. We have such a knowledgeable group of fans here that y'all catch me if I ever make a mistake. Also, mark your calendar. It doesn't happen often <laughs> <laughs> i think that should at least cover the sand snakes aspect of this we have more to talk about with euron so euron is now you know kind of did what he said he's basically like look i'm a badass i'm worthy look what i did i, I took the dornish army off the table probably and you know that's probably the result of that and i captured brought you this gift and he got himself yara too for good measure he's probably going to keep her for himself 
I really hope we don't see Euron torture Yara, do awful things to her. It's it's kind of par for Game of Thrones' course. So I really, yeah. you know, and he's like, come give your uncle a kiss when he starts to fight her. I'm like, let's not go any farther with that. Maybe it just cuts <laughs> her tongue out. She loses some appeal to Ilaria. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> would it really... It, would it really... Are we really going to go through the rest of the show without Euron cutting a couple tongues out? So yeah, that worry. Like yeah, that would worry me. I could see that happening. Here's a question from our good buddy LML. That's uh, Luce Ramin Lightbringer of the Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire podcast. What do you think about Danny's mistake in leaving her fleet exposed with no reconnaissance? In this case, this is exactly what happened. They were totally caught off guard there. Sorry, sorry. I got to back up to something. I just thought about what kind of interaction Euron might have with Ellen Payne. <laughs> I wonder if Ellen Payne's still around. We haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. He should be around. By the way, that actor was diagnosed with terminal cancer back in season one, and uh, but he is still alive. That dude like had a miraculous recovery. Um, so, great. We know we mentioned this in past seasons, but as far as I know, he's still alive. Maybe someone can catch us up on that. I, I hope I'm not wrong about that one. That would be a bad piece of trivia to be wrong about. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, as far as the mistake in leaving her fleet exposed with no reconnaissance, this goes back to that. These guys are not experienced military commanders. Yeah. They just make these mistakes. I think that's what it fits in. The question continues. The one thing she can do with her dragon without any risk is to fly a couple of scouting runs high enough to evade scorpion bolts. Yes, she could have saved her whole fleet if she had scoped out the bay and the path down to Dorne. I'm not sure if that's true because this was a night attack. That's the problem. Like, I don't know if you would have seen those ships. The ships might have stayed hidden. So I'm not sure if that's true. And that is a clever aspect of this. The night attack means the dragons are worthless. The dragons can't tell friend from foe. And once the ships are so close together, they have a real hard time aiming their fire just right so that it doesn't spread to friendly ships. So that was a very clever part of the strategy that's easy to miss. And the, fi- the final bit of the question, do you think she will take that lesson and use her dragons for scouting or just overreact and just go straight to making another field of fire? Well, we kind of know from trailers, it seems like the field of fire is going to happen. I don't know if we're going to go straight to it. But taking that lesson, Danny has been pretty good about learning lessons, about not making the same mistake twice, as far as I can remember anyway. I'm sure there's probably some, some examples that don't fit, but there's, I think there's plenty that do. Uh, Exile and Yeah. <laughs> so I think that she may learn that lesson. Like, yeah, geez, if we had just, you know, maybe taken a little more caution or something, this might not have happened. Or maybe now they know to take Euron more seriously. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I will have to see how Danny reacts to that. She, I think she's going to be upset, but she tends to, she's got her, you know, advisors around to calm her down. I think she's going to make rational decisions. Uh, I think it might, uh, your default thoughts, I agree with, the difference is going to be not Olena. Oh, Olena's not going to be there. Oh, Olena's not there. I can yeah. imagine Olena's hands. You see, go strike, go kill them all, you know? Yeah. But she won't be there to have She'll remember sex. Olena's advice, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I do think Olena's both foreshadowed her own death and the fact that she's right that Dane's going to have to be a dragon. Yeah. I think that's true. Maybe she'll get counsel from everyone. Say the course. Be patient. Work out this plan. She'll like, no, I'm a dragon. I'm going to be a dragon, you know. <laughs> the Snow and Winterfell, who else thinks Bronn saves Tyene? I would if I was him. Yeah, I don't see that happening. I would love for him to, like want to or to think about it but yeah I, just, I don't see it happening but i'm rooting for it yeah 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 i would love to be wrong about that but yeah i think tyene is about as dead as they come <laughs> about as dead as a non-dead character can be from lady Ar- ardras was theon leaving yara a sign that yara is or that reek is very much still in him or was it purely self-preservation him knowing that he couldn't save yara and that they 
would both end up dead. Does he need to stay alive at this point so he can die at the opportune moment? His facial expressions seem very telling. Looks like he's been re-weaked. I think we covered a lot of that already. One aspect of this we did not cover was he does he need to stay alive? And then we have a follow-up question by Joss Wan, which is related, so I'll put both these questions up at the same time. What exactly do you see Theon's point to be anymore? Is it has to be more than just betraying Rob, or he'd likely have died by now, right? What is all his suffering and conflict leading up to? Well, if Yara is done, if she's going to be killed by Euron, then he becomes the de facto potential ruler of the Ironborn after Euron is knocked off, assuming that happens. So that could be his point, to rule, you know, to, to bend the knee to Daenerys, as he's already done, but as the lord of the Iron Islands rather than as, as Yara's number two. I think that's a safe guess. Other possibilities? What do you think? I think I said this last episode, and I still feel this way. I think Theon is likely to live to the end or near the end. I think much like people think of Sam as the one who's telling the story, I, I think Theon is... An observer. Does that make sense? I think he's someone who's going all the way through everything. Uh, even if he doesn't lead or win or whatever, I still think he's going to exist throughout all of this. Okay. Yeah, it seems, seems fair. I like that. We have uh, from Melanie Patrick. Talk about the giant ram slash bridge on Euron ship. Well, yeah, that was awesome. Like, it, it, it's a, a bit of a callback to the Romans. The Romans, when they got into the Second Punic War, they were greatly outclassed on sea. Not just did they have, not not only did they not have a navy, they didn't have naval expertise. But these are the Romans, and the Romans were nothing but dogged and determined and didn't give up. And when the Carthaginians were just kicking their butts all over the Mediterranean, they invented what was called the Corvus, which was a big bridge that sat on the bow that dropped with spikes and would pin the two ships together with that bridge and then the Romans had the huge advantage because then they could send their legions over that bridge where they would just destroy the Carthaginian sailors, no problem. And I believe this is what we were seeing here. I think this is a, uh, so this is a historic, you know, there's a historical precedent for this sort of thing. And we already talked about the ram part, but the bridge, yeah, it was, I, I, what was that image? What was the, the design on that thing? I'm not sure. It looked like teeth or something. I'm not really sure. Let's get another shot of that. A uh, $5 super chat from Stanny B. Rath here. It looks like it is unaccompanied by a question. So thanks, Stanny. Uh, thanks. We also saw you on, uh, or I also saw you on Rawrest's stream yesterday. Appreciate that. I, I should mention that. I was on Rawrest's stream yesterday as we were getting ready for uh, the episode two. We did some predictions and stuff. So shout out to Rawrest. I'm so jealous of you, by the way. <laughs> And we have Aaron Carlton says it was a claw. I, yeah, I guess it could be a claw. It could be a Krakens do have two, I believe two of their tentacles have like little uh, rippy things at the end. Krakens have ten tentacles instead of eight like an octopus. So I think it could be that, a Kraken claw maybe. So there's, uh, yeah. So what else, do, anything that we didn't cover? We're sort of wrapping it up. We definitely have time for a few more questions if y'all have them. And uh, Sean, do you have any other thoughts? you want to get anything that, you, that we didn't talk about that you wanted to wanted to say? If so, I've forgotten it. <laughs> we talked a lot. We did. We did. Okay, so we'll give everybody a couple more minutes for another question or two. Maybe we'll see if we can get Stanley's question in there. And then we'll do our worry of the week action and then our Patreon credits. And we'll be done for the day. We do have it. Okay. The question for Stanley B. Rath is, I was going to ask you if you think Euron's attack was a mirror to Stannis' fair isle trick of pushing his war galley into the Greyjoy ship. That is a cool idea. I definitely hadn't seen that idea. Okay, so the, the, in, the, in the Greyjoy Rebellion, in the book, Stannis defeated Victarion, Euron's younger brother, Balon's younger brother, who was the head of the Iron Fleet. So I guess in show canon, maybe we can say... It was. It would, may have been Euron or somebody else, or just maybe Victorians there. They just got rid of him. In any case, Stannis trapped them. It was a sneak attack. 
where um, you know Aaron ship was just rammed through and uh, split, and Aaron spent his, you know the rest of the battle in Casterly Rock after being fished out of the sea by Lannister sailors. So that is absolutely a parallel. I like that. Good call. We have a couple super chats real fast. First of all, from Zach Gillis. Don't know if this was already covered, but what do you think a Davos-Melisandre reunion looks like? Well, Davos is just really... I think it's going to be a warm embrace. And really fiery just catch up embrace. on old times. And <laughs> he, he, he's going to... I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to. He's there as an envoy, and he might have just had to set his personal feelings aside. But he might not be able to help himself bringing it up. And maybe he'll be looked at John like, John, should we, should we mention this? Should we tell Daenerys what's up here? I, I think that's going to be... Really important. I don't know that... I think Davis might just kind of bite his tongue a little, maybe bring it up in private or something, but I don't think he's just going to blurt it out. I don't think he's going to go nuts like he did. Justifiably so. I don't think he went nuts. I don't think he's going to go nuts like he did in the other time. I've been stewing over it. It was something I guessed at before the season started that it made sense to me that Melisandre would go to Danny at Dragonstone and that John and or an envoy would go to see Danny at Dragonstone and they might run into each other and how that would go down. I assumed that... As it seems, Melisandre was going to befriend Danny, and she would buy in the religion and the power or whatever. And when someone shows up showing the other side of Melisandre's coin, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued, and I think about it a lot, but it's hard to really say, you know. Yeah, Melisandre did one thing that really kind of bought into Danny's ego a bit. Danny is, you know, Danny is an interesting character. She's obviously wants to rule the right way. She's got a lot of positive ideas, a lot of progressive ideas, but she's also very entitled and she likes, she kind of liked the idea in a sense, or maybe she was kind of taking it as a, as a flattery. I couldn't tell because she earlier she was, she addressed Varus like, I don't buy this flattery stuff. Like, oh, the drink secret toast to my health. Is that what you're going to say yeah, next? You know, my that. brother that too. Yeah. And then Mel, here comes Mel Sunder saying, you're like the princess that was promised, you know? And, you know, and she's like, do you think that's about me, huh? You know? And, well, and I will so, point out, by the way, this is something I didn't mean to say earlier. She, Mel Sunder didn't exactly say that. She was careful. She's learned a lesson right, herself. Right. She said, yeah. prophecies can be tricky. You play a role. And so does someone else. John, John Sutter. Sutter. Yeah, and she yeah. didn't call him the princess of promise or tell that she was either. So I thought I thought that was a very interesting shift that Melisandre has taken now, there. Speaking of learning things. She's more careful about how she's interpreting her visions. Yeah, and you wonder if that will come up with, with Davos, like in their meeting, if, if she'll if Davos will kind of hear about, you know, or register that Melisandre's acting differently or behaving differently. Yeah. Super chat from Pinome one, two, three. Tell us about Sean's shirt. We did that halfway through the episode, somewhere around the, I think it's around the one hour, 15 minute mark, roughly. So if anyone missed it, there is an explanation of the shirt at around the halfway mark. So uh, appreciate that. But it's from a game online, long story short. We don't want to repeat it <laughs> just yet, but it's in there. Y'all can find it. And if somehow you miss it, you can certainly feel free to email us and we'll, we'll uh, clear that up for you. Okay. Um, what else do we have? Any other questions? Well... We can, if anyone has a burning question, we can always jump back to it. But for now, let's do our wrap up stuff with our worry of the week. Starting with that, who do you think is at the top of your like? Who are you most worried about? I guess we can kind of not. We'll leave off Yara and Tyene and Ilaria because it's just so obvious that they're in grave danger. So let's. So who else do you think? If you don't want to start, I'll go with Elena. I think Elena is a big one. I've been very adamant about that. Uh, I still remain confident in that one. While you're thinking about that. We've got another super chat. Thank you, Amanda Mitchell. How did Euron know Yara's position and that she had the Sand Snakes, especially since he promised Cersei them as a gift? Uh, I think he figured it out. I think he knew they were at Dragonstone. It's common knowledge now that Danny landed at Dragonstone, and he had to know that there's got to be ships going back and forth. 
He may have gotten lucky with the exact ships, but he may have sent like a scout ship that didn't get noticed. He may have, I don't think he had spies. There's a small chance that someone spilled the beans. Someone like Varys, if we're going to, you know, be crackpot and act like there's a chance Varys is going to betray Danny. That's the way he, he sent done word. It. Somehow Kyburn knew about Danny's dragons taking wounds at the pit in over in Marine. That could be common knowledge, but that slightly registered as, fu- as as a little curious to me. Like, how did he learn that? Speaking of common knowledge, that was another thing that was interesting in this episode. It seemed to be common knowledge that Cersei blew up that set. Popeye just knew that. Yes, right? that's a good point. Yeah, we were wondering how well that known. It seems like everybody knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody seems to know that. Randall Tarley said, and I've seen what she does to her enemies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that seems to be common knowledge. So, yeah, certainly Jamie knows. Certainly everybody knows. So okay, so let's keep going here. Uh, what? So did you did you come up with anybody for a worry of the week? Is anybody? I mean, it can be nobody. You, you can, I you, think nobody. I think in this next episode, no one's dying. No one of consequence. <laughs> Obviously, someone could die. You know, like a I rando, guess there could a be rando, a, yeah, I, I, <laughs> some I, soldiers. I, I just don't think there will be a battle this next episode. Okay, I get other than the characters we already said. I think that the I could see that. Yeah, Yara, I mean, I could see. Oh, a lot right. of the battles coming much later in the season. That seems... Yeah, I think we're going to get another episode of dialogue and setup. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one thing to clarify here. A couple people got... Um, maybe got the wrong idea about the ge- about the gender clarification with the prince and princess that was promised. The term Valonqar is a book-only thing, but people bring it up in the show stuff all the time because it refers to Cersei's prophecy that she got from Maggie the Frog. Valonqar is gendered. Prince that was prince slash princess that was promised. It's not. That has been very made very clear by the language creator David Peterson. There's really no wiggle room there. We got a couple of questions about Valonqar maybe being Arya. No, I really don't think so. I think it's definitively Valonqar is a boy, a, a brother, a man, uh, not a not a girl, not a woman. So now, so obviously I could be wrong, but I really don't think so. I think that's about about as defined as we can get. Given, given that we got that straight from the source, the guy who made the language. <laughs> so, and also that's confused because dragons can apparently change gender. Like some real world amphibians, like some fish can change gender at need. If there's just a bunch of males around, they can switch and uh, stuff like that. It's, some, uh, hum- some humans can change gender. That's true. But <laughs> they can't procreate afterwards, though. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Any, unless we have another question or two pop up, I'm going to get going with the patrons here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I want to give a shout-out to Audible. We, I'm a big fan of Audible, and if you are someone who is a, started with the show and read the books and has been thinking of doing a rewatch, if you don't have time for it, I highly recommend Audible listening to the books. I don't like listening to something for the first time, but as a second time through to catch things you missed, audio is great because you can do it while you're doing other things. I do not recommend doing other things while listening to the books for the first time. You've already, but if you've already read them, it's great. And you can go to our site, go to historyofwestros.com. There's a free trial, gets you a, meaning you get two books for free from them just by signing up. You can cancel the subscription without ever paying if you want, and you still get to keep those two free books. You can grab Game of Thrones. You can grab the World of Ice and Fire. That's one I listen to over and over. World of Ice and Fire. You can also get some of the extended material like. Uh, Harry Lloyd, which is Viserys, doing the some of the Duncan eggs. And there's also Ian Glenn, which is Jorah, doing the Princess and the Queen. And he is so... Both those guys are really good as narrators. So I highly recommend that. Also, by support, following those links and signing up for the trial, you support the show. We get a little kickback for that. And if you sign up for a trial afterwards, if you actually like the trial enough to take a subscription, we get credit for that too. So thanks very much if you do that. And thanks to people who have done that in the past. If you're a fan of podcasts, well, audiobooks are right up your alley. 
Oh wait, Aziz, I know we're starting to wrap up, but have we sit, have we hit six thousand viewers? <laughs> Apparently not. So I guess oh, we're not going to okay, do a twenty four hour right. scream scream <laughs> stream. Twenty four hour scream would be a lot harder. We'll do I'm that not, for sixty thousand viewers. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to need to practice for that too. <laughs> okay, so a couple of. Now, what I'm going to start doing, because we have so many patrons now that are that are really generous and wonderful, and we've had so many cool nicknames over the years of people picking out nicknames and us making up nicknames for some people, that I want to highlight some of those fun names from time to time and read them in advance of the regular Patreon credits. Excuse me. So I'm going to start with uh, our friend who's been a, a supporter and follower on Twitter and has sent us a lot of good questions over the years. Urban Flower Pot. That's a cool name. And then we have Tormund Giants Wang, which is uh, I think is pretty funny also, and a, a good name, uh, especially because Tormund talks about his his Wang a lot in the books, especially. Someone asked, "Is Roy Dotrie still alive?" Yes, Roy Dotrie is still alive. He did a Dance with Dragons. He's uh, he's still alive. He he's probably going to do the audio for the Winds of Winter if it comes out before he dies. Um, he's in his eighties. He's not that old. That's pretty old, but you know he, he's doing well. He's got his health. I think he's still got his great voices. Then we have uh, our regular re- recurring patrons who are deserve mention, uh, uh, whose benefits enable them to get mentioned in every episode. Our peers of the realm include the mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog, and Warden of the West, who puts out a lot of fine material. So check out Jim's podcast, To Wage War. Jim is an ex-military man himself, meaning a veteran, and a big fan of military history. His podcast is about lesser-known battles, and it and, and covers them from a variety of angles, and he's very good at it. He's, very, uh, he's got good um, enthusiasm for the material. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Kohol Koi, our lone blood rider, is Master of the Bow, called Sunpiercer, who's... Fire Arrows, again, have taken out the a detective who served on the wrong side of justice. Well-deserved revenge there. So our small council consists of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel, Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin, Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws, and Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. I want to remind you that we have a Beard Council now that has the same titles for uh, a, a, a little bit less money. And you can be Sean's uh, Master of Coin, Master of Laws, and he will read you those shout-outs each episode. So if you're a big fan of the beard, that's a great way to support the show and uh, directly to support Sean as well. We also have lords and ladies in their castles, led off by Lady Dyerliz of Castle Nyaki, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains of Castle Great Belt is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Belt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Uh, Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Alicia the Everlasting is... Uh, of the Green Blood, Lady of Desert Rose. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort, and and he's got a question for the Book to Show episode. We've got a queued up. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter, the Hawk's Eye, is Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls and ca- of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Seal Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian of the hidden hundred acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Osborne is of Castle Werewood, spreading the old gods by planting Werewood saplings in the Reach, Stormlands, and Crownlands with the very appropriate motto, Our Roots Run Deep. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is sworn alesmith to House Stark, Grand Master of the Zithamancer's Guild and Keeper of the Buzz. Lord Imriel is of House Jordane. 
Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, last scion of Clan McCulloch. Motto, Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to house Iron Warwood, and their motto is Listen for the Silence. We also have uh, First Sword Jeff, uh, sorry, King's Justice Sir Troy the Study, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our King's Guard is commanded by Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine. We also have a Beard Guard level, a little bit cheaper than the King's Guard level. You gotta defend the beard. You gotta defend the beard. We also have a Hand of the Beard level that is uh, Guardian of the Beard Cone. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have our History of Westeros Knights Watch, which is commanded by Lord Commander Daenerys Flint, avenging the memory of Brave Danny while commanding the Night Fort. First Ranger Fabian Flowers of Baxter Greenshield. First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom. First Steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine called Pale. If you were expecting a shout out and did not get one, please let us know. This time of year is very hectic and we're so busy trying to gather questions and everything. It's, it's certainly possible that we missed you. It certainly wasn't on purpose. I hope you can forgive about any kind of overlooks like that because of, uh, in, in light of how busy we are this time of year. Please give us a second chance if that's the case. And if you're interested in joining Patreon, it's very easy. Go to patreon.com. You get to decide the amount to give per month. And those correspond, the different dollar amounts correspond with different reward levels. We do things like give you episodes early, although not during the TV season because we've got to get everything out as fast as possible. But the other 10 months of the year, you get the episodes early. If you uh, join up and sign up certain levels, we get you names. We get you shout outs. We got access to scripts and fun stuff like that. We'll also be announcing some Patreon levels for Ashea's Queensguard, but that will, we'll be announcing that shortly. That'll be uh, announced during our Book to Show episode uh, with Radio Westeros coming up soon. So I think that covers it. We're going to send you off for next time. Valar Reredus on behalf of Sean, on behalf of Ashea, on behalf of everyone else. Thank you all for joining us live. If you're catching this later, thank you all for listening and watching History of Westeros. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you next time.